the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Walked him or did oh, it hit him hit in the him, foot? Hit him oh, in the foot. That hurts. So another Met is hit and JD is in pain. If you're keeping track, that is 19 Mets who have been hit by pitches this year. No other team has been hit by more than 11. I mean, on a 3 2 pitch, how can you miss that badly on a 3 2 pitch? It's up and in, and you had to know that was coming. And Arenado nods out at Lopez as if to say, I knew, and now he says, Come get me. And here we go. You knew something was going to happen, and here it is. Both benches empty, and they are really going at it now. This has been brewing for the last couple of days. And after J.D. Davis got drilled in the ankle, bodies start to fly. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I picked the wrong day to mow my lawn yesterday. <laughs> Who, buddy? I watched the first six innings, seven innings of that game. Decided, you know what? Looks like this thing's out of hand. I'm going to go ahead and go cut the grass. Smart. It's supposed to rain today. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Felt like the right time to do it, Alex. Wish I would have. Oh, boy, did I miss a whole lot of intrigue in that one. Now, I did go back and watch it, and oh, my God, that was fun. So, it all started when the Cardinals, and by the way, that audio courtesy of SNY up in New York. It all started when, you know, of course, Hennessy's Cabrera Hits J.D. Davis on the foot. It was a 3-2 count. Of course, he's not trying to hit him there. But everybody and their mother knew what was going to come in the next inning, including, apparently, Ollie Marmol's four-year-old daughter. Just do you, do you or your team have an inkling that something like that is coming? I think my four-year-old had an inkling it was coming. I think my one-year-old yeah. did. Everybody knew it was coming up next. And it went pretty much as expected. Now, the problem was they threw high and inside, Alex. And when you throw high and inside, there is one guy on the Cardinals I would not recommend doing that against. Harrison Bader. It is Nolan Arenado, who showed a few years ago when he was with Colorado, he will kick your ass. <laughs> he is not afraid to charge the mound. And if you want to throw your glove at him, by all means, go ahead and throw it. He's coming swinging. And if he connects, it ain't going to feel good. I loved everything that we saw yesterday. And no, I don't condone fighting in baseball. You probably shouldn't do it. 
But if you're going to throw in high and inside, you better be okay with what the consequences are for your actions. Think about the moments that we've gotten in baseball, though, with when fights like Nolan Ryan and the fights that he's gotten into. Uh, Pedro Martinez throwing Don Zimmer yeah. to the ground. Like you always get entertainment. And then yesterday we got probably the best moment out of it. Well, two greatest moments from a fight. One was a certain bullpen pitcher who did the most acrobatic thing I think I've ever seen from a pitcher. Here's what that's racing in from the bullpen as well. Jumping over the fence to get in. I believe that's Giovanni Gallegos. I mean, he came out from off camera in the back of the bullpen, charged the front of the bullpen gate, and then just, I mean, he just leapt frogged over it. He got on top, he spun off of it, and then he was making a beeline to the scrum in the middle of it. What's even best about that is you see all the other bullpen pitchers like jumping up and down near the wall (laughs) where they're trying to get the gate open. You got Gallegos like flipping over. Everyone's going single file line outside the gate of the bullpen, and Gallegos is like, no, 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 I'm getting into this fight. So I I was surprised. I really was. We ended the show yesterday. T-Bone and I both said that I, I don't expect any fireworks in this one because like for everything Chris Bassett was saying at the previous game, talking about there being a massive problem with the baseballs and all of this, I'm thinking, okay, well, neither team wants this to go on any further. And then you get the Henesis Cabrera throw. That's which, what did it. It's exactly what did it. But those are two different pitches. The Henesis Cabrera pitch was an off-speed pitch that went low and hit the foot just about the same time it hit the dirt. It's the same thing as, what was it, Tuesday night? Thursday, yeah. So Tuesday <laughs> night when they hit the batter, it, that clearly wasn't intentional. It was a change-up. And like then that, you get Lopez on the mound who throws a fastball <laughs> directly at Arenado. Those are two very different things. So here's Ali Marmol. Speaking of what you're talking about there, how it's it's very different scenarios talking about why he took exception with what happened in the Arenado pitch. I didn't love it at all. I do entirely. Um, when you come up top like that and, and jeopardize someone's career in life, yeah, I take exception to that. I don't think anyone in the big leagues appreciates getting thrown up top. No one has every right to uh, react the way he did and go after him. And we'll protect that. Okay, so when I originally heard that comment, my first thought was, okay, but Pete Alonzo can have that same gripe with you because he had a ball hit him in the head, and nobody likes that happening. But then the more I thought about that, that was also an off-speed. That was a change-up that got out of yep. that got out of hand. It's not a fastball where you are directing it towards it, and that's where the frustration really set in. Because I, like, it was it was honestly embarrassing how the umpires handled it. Because how does a guy who throws a fastball? What was that speed on that fastball? Ninety-six, I believe. You're throwing a ninety-six mile an hour fastball directly at Arenado's head. And I understand it, was a, it wasn't the, quite at his head. And here's the thing too is Juan, that was at his head. Well, I think it's, it's was Lopez. Up and in. I think his name's. I think it's. Is it Juan Lopez? I believe is the name. The fastball. He's been DFA'd by a lot of teams because he has no command. So he was probably aiming for Arnold's <laughs> butt and missed. Maybe. Regardless, how does that guy get to stay in the game? And I understand Arnold started the scrum. And you know what? That guy should get ejected. Stubby clap. We're gonna get to that. But how does one party? get all of the blame when two parties were a part of it. That's what was infuriating. And they had already been warned. That's what I don't understand. Like, what's the warning for? Isn't that, isn't it for this? Like, to to prevent something like this. And if it does happen, then everybody gets thrown out. Like, just throw all of them out of the game, especially on the final game of a series. Just get all of them out of there, and then we'll, we'll worry about this the next time that these two teams play. 
The end result, though, is something that I find to be pretty interesting. I think these teams are now rivals. There's the history going back to the 80s for people that are of age to have watched those two teams going up against one another. You have a very natural villain in Pete Alonzo. You've got the hometown kid who never played for the hometown team that feels slighted by the hometown team in Max Scherzer, who is as ferocious as they come. I didn't see him out there yesterday in that fight. He was hiding. You look at Buck Showalter and who he is as a manager. He's a little feisty. He's old school. I loved the way Ali Marmol handled everything yesterday. I thought it was perfect. You look at Stubby Clap. He's now going to be a villain in New York. And what a better person than Stubby Clap of all people to be a villain in New York City. I have a buddy who's a, uh, a Mets fan. He texted me yesterday. That was Bush League what Stubby Clap did. It's like, really? Come on, man. What did he do? He's 6'3", 230 pounds, and Stubby Clap's like 5'9". He's 49 years old. That That's the guy you're blaming here? Pete Alonzo, though, is the perfect villain. The perfect villain here in St. Louis. What makes you say that? Did you hear what he said after the game yesterday? Oh, I heard it. And then I listened to it again and again and again. Here were his thoughts on, quote, being tackled by Stubby Clap. Well, I mean, again, I got pulled from behind. Actually, Genesis Cabrera grabbed me by the back of the collar, and then then he just uh, ripped down, and then the coach just kind of jumped on me, and I thought that was kind of kind of cheap going going from behind. I mean, I mean, that's if you want to if you want to hold me back, if you want to restrain me, go at me like a man. So there's the first thing that he said. He continued. He wasn't done. I'm I'm confused by that, BK. What does it mean? Go at me like a man. If you're gonna, he's basically saying. Hey, let's go face to face. Let's go hand to hand combat here. Maybe that was a little uncomfortable for Stubby. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to go face to face in that circumstance. He's just trying to hold him back. He's face to chest in that scenario. Um, Pete Alonzo continued. High challenge. Sure. I totally understand because I'm a big guy. I'm a big, strong guy. And his obviously the manager wants to uh, have protection for, for his team and, and his staff. And I totally get it. And for me, like, I'm a big, strong guy. They don't, they don't know, like, my temper. They don't know what I could do. I mean, if I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could. But I was just out there trying to protect my guys. Hold on. Can we play that last part again? Did what? he just say, if I want to put somebody in the hospital, I Like my temper, could. they don't know what I could do. I mean, yeah. if I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could, but he, I was just out there trying to protect my guys. He's a crazy guy. You don't know his temper. Pete Alonzo's a crazy man. You don't know what he's going to do out there. So good for Pete Alonzo to be held back by Stubby Clap. He's a, he's a big, strong guy. He is a big, strong guy. He'll let you know it, too. Did you know, did you know he was a big, strong guy? He is big. He's 6'3", 250 pounds. He is a strapping young man. I'm a big, strong guy. (laughs) Pete Alonzo is the perfect villain here in St. Louis. If if Pete Alonzo had anybody but stubby clap in his face, would he have that same reaction? I... Because I saw Yadier Molina get into Nick Castellanos' face, and... I was I was scared at home watching through the television. I th- did you see what Nolan Arenado did to that poor catcher? He, that was a he hell should of be a, a top ten pick in tonight's draft. He looked like Jordan Davis out there. The edge yeah. rushers in this year's draft wish they could stack and shed the way that Nolan Arenado did against that catcher yesterday. Aaron Donald. That was amazing. Would uh, be great if the catcher fell over. Who yeah, was your, made it perfect? Setting aside the stubby incident because we've talked about that. Setting aside Giovanni Gallegos who leaped over. The bullpen wall, which is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. (laughs) Who in particular stood out to you in that benches clearing incident yesterday? I I will nominate Paul Goldschmidt 
who has never ran that fast to anything in his entire Goldie life. Was moving. You keep saying that, but Yadier Molina <laughs> outran him. And he had his gear on still. That was amazing <laughs> yeah. to see him sprinting with his gear Yachty on. Yachty had his, his shin pads on, and he was still outrunning Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, there's a couple of nominations for this one. Uh, one was Max Scherzer. Didn't see him out there. Might have been getting a rub down. Bathroom break. Bathroom break, maybe. But as a pitcher. Two. Getting a massage. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Okay. Two. Hennessy. Just clarifying. Two. Hennessy. Cabrera. And Hennessy Cabrera just came out of nowhere. First of all, when he came running out of the bull or the uh, dugout, he had a towel with him. I didn't know what he was going to do with that. But then two, he was the one that just saw Pete Alonzo being held down by Stubby <laughs> Clap, grabbed his jersey and just yanked him to the ground. So those would be my two nominees. Giovanni Gallegos wins it, though. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> that man barrel rolled out of that bullpen. <laughs> Gio is definitely the winner of it all. But I I, I agree with it's the like a, watching Yadier cops one. and the guys <laughs> continuously <laughs> running over the, the fence. fences. And you're like, man, are you really going to be able to get over that one? <laughs> I just, I still have an impressive fence lead. Two weeks ago, I jumped over a fence and scraped my knee all the way up. This guy's jumping over the bullpen wall. I was going to say, it wasn't a bullpen wall either. Oh, no, that doesn't surprise anybody. I got to go with Yachty, though. Yachty was booking. I'm with Alex. He was keeping up with Goldie. No, he outran uh, Goldie. I think it was a camera angle. I'm waiting for the stat cast numbers to come out on it. But I I, I was impressed by Yachty coming out full gear, booking it right (laughs) behind Goldie. I love it. I also liked Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols was just the man of peace and all of that. Yeah. He just kept sitting there holding people and just like hand in their face. And be like, calm down, calm down. He is a big, strong man. I'll put you in the hospital if you're not <laughs> careful, man. <laughs> that, that, watch yourself. That needs to be the threat on BK and Ferrario from now. Hey, man, if you don't stop it, I'm going to put you in the hospital. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Do you guys agree? Is this a rivalry now? Like, when these teams meet again, are you going to feel like the, the Cardinals are going up against their rival? Because there's nobody in the division. Like, I understand Cards-Cubs is always going to be a big game just because of the history there. But, like, nobody looks at the, the Cubs as a real threat in this division right now. The Mets and Cardinals play again in New York through two and a half weeks from now. That's a rivalry matchup right there, right? Like, I'm definitely, like, it's appointment television to be watching that game. I don't know if I would give it a rivalry yet, though. Like, I, I feel like... You're wrong on this one, Alex. If you keep saying that, I'm going to put you in the hospital, man. <laughs> Tanner? Yeah, I don't know if it's at a rivalry level yet. You only see see Somebody's got to agree with me, well, right? How about they play in the playoffs first before we call it a, a rivalry? I think they will. Okay, I think well, these then, teams are going to meet in the, the NLCS. Playoffs, I think you're talking about then, a rivalry. Yeah, then you're at the rivalry with it. But, you hear what I just said? What? Yeah, he said NLCS. These teams are going to meet in the NLCS this year. Yeah, because the BKO... These are the, the two best thing. teams in the National League. Oh, you just watched it. I, I've watched <laughs> wow. the Dodgers. They're really good. Did you see the first two games of that series? I don't know if I'd go that far. The Cardinals had the game won before Nolan Arenado made a bad throw. Well, don't But they're that. one of the best teams in the National League. Yeah, because okay. I don't expect that to happen all the time. My voice just cracked. What, I what, like what, what about that second? second? Coming up second in about game? 15 minutes or so. Speaking of watching this series, I watched the offense yesterday. It finally broke out. Is that something that we can expect moving forward? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers at 1145. But coming up next, which Blues player would gain the most with a cup win this year? According to ESPN, none of them have a whole lot on the line. That makes sense. They just won the cup. Which one could gain the most? So we'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. If I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could, but I was just out there trying to protect my guys. We're right back.
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Earlier today, I was reading over on ESPN.com, and Alex, they ranked the Stanley Cup list playoff players who need a cup the most. And of course, you got the likes of Claude Giroux, Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton. They're right at the top of this list, right? They're all old guys who, if they get a cup, it's kind of the last thing they really need to accomplish in this league. I kept going down, kept going down, kept going down. There is no Blues players on this list, which when you think about it, I guess makes a lot of sense because even the players they've added since their last cup run, most of them have a cup themselves from somewhere else. Like you look at Nick Letty, he's got one already. You look at Brandon Saad, he's got one already. I guess you could argue Pavel Buchnevich, but he's so young, there's not a whole lot at risk of like not being able to maintain his legacy if he doesn't get one right now. So I get why they don't have Blues players on this list. But if I were to switch the argument a little bit, and I asked you which player gains the most if they win a cup this year, who do you think it applies to? There's two that come to mind for me. One would be Vladimir Tarasenko, um, because I, I think it would I think it would apply a lot to his career. Because if they were to win it, he had the season that he just had. I feel like that you might emerge if he's not already a superstar in the NHL. But I think the one that would gain the most from it would be Ryan O'Reilly. Two years or two cups in four years with the Blues, captain for one of them. He was the the Conn Smythe winner in the other. I, I think he would gain the most from those two Stanley Cups. And I, I don't know if that would solidify him as a Hall of Famer, but it would at least start bringing the conversation to Ryan O'Reilly's name. I think the one for me, and there's two for me as well. One of them is, I think it's Vili Huso. I, I think he gains the most from it because... He then proves, okay, all year I had to deal with the questions of, okay, they're going to get Bennington back to form, Bennington back to form, he's got the contract, I'm going to be replaced by Jordan Bennington even though I'm playing well. And then he goes on and he can lead the team to a Stanley Cup. Not only is that good for him just in terms of winning a cup, it helps his free agent uh, case as well when he (laughs) hits free agency next year. Also, it's kind of one of those moments for Husso where it was, I was supposed to be the guy in Jordan Bennington's skates in that 19 cup run, but I was hurt and didn't get my opportunity. Bennington took it, ran with it. I got my opportunity this year and I was able to run with it. And the other one for me would be Colton Preco, being the lockdown, shutdown defenseman that was heavily criticized when the season began, ended up becoming the best defenseman in the NHL, and he becomes a guy that is going to lead this Blues team. If the Blues win the Stanley Cup defensively, the guy you're going to point to is Colton Preco, in my opinion. So I think those are the two for me. Can I take you on a magic carpet ride real quick, Alex? You can come alongside me. Do we need the music for it? Or, uh, really, if you want to. Really, like that might be the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in this show. If I knew you were going to have Our that reference, I would have had it. first segment was about a big, strong man who could put you in the hospital, and this is what made you uncomfortable, huh? That didn't make me uncomfortable. That just made me laugh. He is a big, strong man. Robert Thomas, if this Blues team goes on a cup run, I think we'll finish that cup run being considered to be one of the best players in the NHL. I think that's what he, it would mark his arrival within this league. The way we were talking coming off of the all-star game and the fastest skater competition, that was Jordan Cairo's moment, right? We had all said at that point in time, obviously things have gone a little differently since then, but we said at the time, this was his moment where he has announced his arrival as a true star within the NHL. 
I think Robert Thomas this year has become a star. Maybe not a superstar, but a star within the league. He's a point-per-game producer. He's going to finish the year with at least 20 goals and at least 50 assists. He's the first Blues player to have 20 goals, 50 assists, and a plus 20 on the ice in any individual season in franchise history. His regular season accolades are already there. But the last time this team won the Cup, they did so with him being an ancillary piece. He wasn't even a center at that point in time. He was a complimentary guy who you knew eventually would get there, but wasn't quite there just yet. If they win the cup this time around, it will be at least in part because he's having those big face-offs late in a defensive zone because that's what the Blues trust him to do right now. He's going to have had probably five, ten different highlight real plays over the course of the playoff run. That's going to be necessary for them to be able to win the cup. I think Robert Thomas makes that big step that we've been talking about nationally. Locally, he's already there, but nationally... If this team wins the cup, I think he's the guy that benefits the most. I think he will be viewed as a legitimate superstar within the league if they win the cup. See, I think he's already viewed that way by a lot of people. Nationally? Yeah. I don't think the casual NHL fan knows much about Robert Thomas. The casual NHL fan doesn't, but I think national analysts look at Robert Thomas now as one of those centermen. I mean, when I talked with, uh, I forgot, it was either Greg Wyshynski or it was somebody, but... I talked to him on pregame about a week ago, and he said, oh, he's already crossed into that superstar threshold. Now is just getting into the elite threshold. But I don't think most casual NHL observers view him that way. But, yeah. I mean, how many people on this Blues team do you think casual NHL observers view as in any of those categories? I think uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, I think those uh, are See, I don't think so. I, I just think St. Louis Vladimir is that Ter- market. I know it's silly to bring up this argument, but he was on the front of an NHL video game. Like, that that does matter for casual observers Completely of the sport. I, th- I think he would be the only one, but I, I, I think Robert Thomas is going to get there with or without a Stanley Cup. I mean, it's, it's a good one to pick there. Regardless, I think Robert Thomas has already crossed into that that superstar threshold. People are going to be talking about his next big season next year, regardless of the outcome of the playoffs. I also think if he win, if the Blues win the Cup, and he's a big part as to why, boy, howdy, that contract that he's yeah. about to get, and I think they would probably want to try to extend him this offseason, don't push that down the road, it's going to be hefty. It's going to be in that seven, eight, nine million dollar per year range, I would imagine. I've seen a lot of people agree with Tanner on the on the Huso one, and I think it's a good one because he is gaining a lot. But I agree with it for what it's worth. I think that's but, a really good nominee. But isn't it the same category as Jordan Bennington? I mean, that's the same conversation. Your first shot at winning a Stanley Cup, you win a Stanley Cup, and then you go into the off season, you get a contract. I mean, he still has more to prove, in my opinion, if well, he were to win a cup. I agree, but, I mean, think about what Jordan Bennington gained. He what, gained what, three years of being an unquestioned starter. And, yeah, <laughs> what, and what do you mean by he has more to prove than what Bennington had? I mean, he would have more. Would he have more games at this point? I think he's saying of, after this. There's still, this. He's, he's oh, got to okay, continue proving it. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Bennington, in our eyes, still had a lot to prove after he won the Stanley Cup. And he got cup. the bridge deal, which leads and, to and him then, getting the bigger And he deal. played well in the bridge deal going into that 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 the bubble, and then, of course, that's when things kind of started to fall apart so I, I, like I said he's going to gain from it because regardless if it's with the Blues or with somebody else he's going to get a contract extension if they were to win a Stanley Cup one other one that came to mind what about Justin Falk that's because one, that's a good one Justin Falk spent his entire career with Carolina I believe he only appeared in one postseason with the Carolina Hurricanes and then he's been in the postseason with the Blues every single season that he's been with the team hasn't looked the greatest but if he goes on to win a Stanley Cup and he is one of the main pieces, why? Does he become a number one defenseman in a lot of people's eyes? Does he start to get Norris Trophy votes in a lot of people's Would eyes? You? I don't think Norris Trophy yeah, votes just because the points aren't there. Yeah, because and Roman I think Yossi's putting up a 100-point season right now. Yeah, and Kel McCarr is up there as well. Ridiculous. I, I understand... 
I think that it's a really good one to throw out there, Alex. I think he would always be in that second tier of defensemen where you get to the end of the season and people are talking about the most underrated defenseman in the league, and he's just always perennially a candidate to be in yeah. that type of a category. Would you put Tory Krug in that same conversation? He's, he's but he's but he's been there with Boston before. So he's been there, but like, he's never I know he's won it. Correct. I know he's a winning player though, like because you've seen it with Boston and Justin Falk. I mean, he was a part of some bad Carolina Hurricanes teams, and he was a part of some average Carolina Hurricanes teams. I think he was only a part of really one good team, and that was the year that I think they made it to the second round of the playoffs or the third round of the playoffs. So I think Tory Krug's kind of already in that category by now. I saw this as a uh, question that somebody threw out there for an, another team. It was an NBA-related question, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it as well, just as uh, a quick thought on the Blues right now. If you could add any one former Blues player to the current Blues roster, but they can't be a Hall of Famer, non-Hall of Fame edition, for this Stanley Cup playoff run, who would you add to this current roster? Forget salary, forget any of that. Non-Hall of Famer, you're adding to the Blues for the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. It was Wayne Gretzky that I was trying to add to the team. He would have helped. <laughs> if, you, if you were adding um, Chris Hall of Famers, I would go Al McInnes. I'd go Chris Pronger. Interesting. I need a little nastiness back there. You know, yeah. I would go McKinnis because he fits the identity of what they're doing on the blue line. Now. Well, that's a good point. McKinnis is a left-handed defenseman. That makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's two that come to mind. I, I think the one for me, I, I would add Pat Maroon to this team. I, and I'm not trying to like sell to the fan base here. I truly think like the one Good Homer answer. <laughs> yeah, the one area that this team is lacking that was noticeable against Colorado. Was, Alex knows how to play this so well. Yeah, I, I talk about how I don't want Albert Pools to play as much and all of these different things that do not exactly uh, endear me to our audience. And then Alex like, hey, what about the hometown hero? Yeah, I mean, I am a big, strong man. What can I say? It's Pat Maroon, like this, you, you don't have that that heaviness in terms of guys that go to the front of the net, you got a lot of skill. We already know that with this offense. I just think for a for a playoff run, I just want a little nastiness in my fourth line, and I want a big body who can go to the front of the net, and I'd like a little leadership there as well. So uh, I, I think I would add Pat Maroon. I think that would make a hell of an addition for this Blues team in a matchup against Minnesota and against Colorado. I wouldn't go with Jay Bomeiser. He'd be the one that I would want to bring back because he's kind of that... Nick Letty type left-handed defenseman. He's going to be very defensive mind. He's going to do a very good job of helping you get the puck out of the zone. And you compare him with a Colton Preco there at the very top. So I think Jay Balmy should be the one for me. He's the one that I feel like. I think we've talked about this defense. To me, it's a, it's good. It's not great. But if I put Jay Bowmeister on this this team, I would feel really good about the defense heading into the playoffs. Plus, you'd have your uh, nine guys that you feel comfortable with your top three lines. It's tough because I I kind of like what both of you had had as your nominees. I I think Jay Bomeister is probably the one that I would go with. Like if I was to give my top answer, I think he's probably the guy. If I was to add one other though, I think Pierre Turgeon would be pretty close to the top Who? of the list. Turgeon. Turgeon. Who's Turgeon? Okay, mister. <laughs> you want to go there? We can talk about what happened before the game or before the hey, show today. Hey, he, hey, he, hey, hey. What he, happens before the show stays also, off the air. You can't throw his name into this. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. That is he a Hall of Famer? He will be. Is he a Hall of it's Famer? It's a joke that he isn't already. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. Coming up next, the Cardinals offense finally broke out yesterday. Is this going to be the norm now? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Oh, new world, a new world.
new fantastic point of view. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Carlson down the right field line. It is fair into the corner. One run is in. That's Nolan Arenado. Here comes Dickerson. Carlson to third, standing up with a two-out triple. And Goldie singles into right. Here comes Tommy Edmond. The tenth run for St. Louis, and they lead it ten to five. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Cardinals yesterday, 8 for 18 with runners in scoring position. That'll play. I like the 18 number as well when you've got 18 different times that you come to the plate with runners in scoring position. Finished the game with 15 hits, 10 runs, 3 walks, 3 doubles, 1 triple, no home runs once again. The offense finally looked as we were expecting. That audio, by the way, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, was that the breakout we were waiting for? Or is this a one-off and you're still waiting to be convinced that the Cardinals offense is real? I don't want to be convinced that it's real. I know it's real, but I think I'd like to see it just continue. I think it was a breakout for Dylan Carlson. I think that was a huge game for him to go two for two for three to pick up two RBIs and get that uh, triple. It, it, it was something at least that I'm starting to say, okay, they're fine. I, I still think I want to see it backed up a little bit. But look, you did that against Carlos Carrasco, who came into that game with a sub two ERA. Like that was a guy who was pitching really well. And it was a team that had gotten the best of you in two games. I love the response from the team. I don't think I ever sat here and said that this offense isn't for real. It's just, it was off to a really slow start and it was getting concerning. Still a little concern in a couple of areas. One being Paul DeYoung, uh, Tyler O'Neill, who went 0 for 4 in that one. But I thought that was a huge breakout game for Dylan Carlson, which got me excited. Yeah, I still have some concerns on the offense, but it's based on what kind of like what he said. You know, I still wonder about the bottom part of the order. And then I think that was the game, though. Maybe you look at when we look in a week or so back at the offense, you say, okay, that's the game that really opened up for Dylan Carlson. The two for three, having the triple, not only just on the offensive side of things, making the incredible play out in center field can build momentum as well. So. I think that might have been a game for Dylan Carlson. I still do have some concerns about Tyler O'Neill, but I'm glad to see them put up that kind of a beatdown on Carlos Carrasco because that's what I wanted to see from maybe not that kind of production, but be a little bit more competitive against a Chris Bassett, a guy that's not really an ace, a solid like number two, three. That's what Carlos Carrasco is. He's a solid like three, four in a rotation, and it was good to see the Cardinals offense kind of wake up and get the bats going and be able to get some production on the board and see it coming from basically all over the lineup yesterday. I also think the 0 for 4 is is a little misrepresentative of what Tyler O'Neill's day was. He the, he reached base on a scorcher that ended up going down as an error technically, yeah. and then he walked and he scored two runs in the game. It's not a bad game by any stretch. In the game before, he hit the ball hard a couple of times. It just wasn't flying out of the park. The ball is not flying right now. At Bush Stadium, really anywhere in baseball, but especially at Bush. We talked about this the other day. There were at least, when we went to the game on Monday, Tanner, a couple of balls that you felt like in a normal scenario would have gone out, and they just, they're they not going out now. And there's been some research that's been done on barreled balls that the batting average on those is down like 100 points compared to what it is previously. It's just a weird start to the season. But I think your point on the outfields is a good one. Tyler O'Neill, Corey Dickerson had yeah, a really good really game good. yesterday. Uh, Dylan Carlson was awesome both at the plate and then the play that he made in the outfield. My God. That's what they need. 
I I have zero questions whatsoever about Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. Those guys are going to be great offensively. They always are, and you kind of know you're going to look at the back of the baseball card at the end of the year. You pretty much know what to expect from them. The question is, what are you getting in the outfields? Are they going to be what they were a year ago? And yesterday looked more like what we saw from them a year ago. Hitting the ball hard, contributing offensively, even if it's not with home runs or anything like that. Like, Finding a way to get on and then creating havoc on the bases once you're there. Because that's where their athleticism really comes from, is their outfield. So I was impressed there, and I'm hopeful that that's something that you'll be able to see moving forward. It's weird, man, because... I think we'd be talking so much differently about this team right now if Nolan Arenado makes a, a, a good throw to first or if Giovanni Gallegos covers the bag in that opening game. I'd agree. I mean, think about that. How much of this conversation about the Cardinals changes if they just won two out of three against the Mets instead of losing two out of three? And they were so close to being there. I think the offense, we're still having the same conversations, but it has a different undertone to it because they just won two out of three and they're 11-6 and six on the year and they took two out of three against... I think you can make an argument the best team in the National League. Yeah, right now. you'd be eleven and six, and they'd be thirteen and seven. And I mean, you'd be talking about winning a series against that team, and you'd be talking about, I think, winning every series except for that Miami Marlins one. Correct? Even the Marlins, you won two out of three. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so you'd be talking about winning every series. So yeah, the narrative, of course, changes. And, and like we've said earlier, and I know it's a coulda, shoulda, woulda, but it, I mean, it was right there. It for was the a take. mistake. Yeah. I mean, it was one mistake from Nolan Arenado that won't happen again. And Giovanni Gallegos, you don't expect it to happen again, especially with those moves that we saw from the outfield. He ain't going to be making missing the first base anytime yeah, we soon. We know the sprint speed now to the first. The sprint speed is going to be there, but I, I'm with you, BK. Like that's a, a that's a really good point. Offensively, I still think we'd be talking about man where's the offense gone? Because from the Marlins series into the Mets series, even if you won that game, you'd still be talking about it. But you'd be talking about a come-from-behind victory, closing things down against the Mets, and then this big one, the narrative would be much different. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we still would have the conversations about the offense because I think they've scored two or fewer runs, and it's I think you want to say like half it's their games now. pretty close to half their games. I think it's just a little bit under half. I think it's 8 of 17. But you'd be having those conversations still, and they're not good in two-run games either. I think they're 2-5, and five, if I'm not mistaken, in two-run games. But not a lot of teams are good. The good teams are good in those kind of scenarios. But I think you still have the conversation about the offense. Because, I mean, we were talking about it after the Monday game. You know, they executed the plan against Max Scherzer. It just went awry in the ninth inning. There probably is just a bit of a different undertone. I agree with that because you're talking about a one series instead of losing two of three and having to avoid a sweep yesterday when you have the offense just have this massive outburst. The other thing that I liked about yesterday's game, and I think this is going to have to be a trend for them, especially at home, if you're not going to get the ball changing at, at some point this year, they played small ball. They had the rallies where it's just stringing base hits together. They had zero home runs once again yesterday. I believe it's eight straight games now that they have not hit a home run in uh, this year. You had a couple of steals, zero home runs on the day. You had a few doubles. You had the triple by Dylan Carlson. The Cardinals are now number one in Major League Baseball in stolen bases on the season. I think it's 15 straight that they have successfully stolen on their attempts. I think the only one they've been caught on so far this year is the Albert Pujols. Way to go, Albert. Oh, Albert. Um, so it didn't count. It was a trial run. You're watching the Cardinals find multiple ways that they can score. And that is something that I do view as being significant, even probably more so when it comes to being sustainable than what we saw offensively yesterday. You don't expect this team to consistently score 10 runs. You don't expect them to have 15 plus hits and getting on base 18 times and having 18 at bats with runners and scoring position. That's that's an outlier performance. 
But the way they went about it, that is something that I do think can be sustainable for this team. Yeah, I think the home runs will come. I mean, that's the most obvious statement you can make with this offense and this team. But I hope the stolen bases and the small ball style stays because... One, it's fun to watch, and two, I think it's a recipe for success with this team. they got a lot of speed. They can turn singles into uh, doubles. They can turn a, a single when they're on first base and ending up at third base. That's the danger of this offense. We saw the speed in play last season when they went on that 17-game win streak, and I would imagine it's going to be very impactful again this season. So the home runs will come, but I hope this type of baseball stays with Ali Marmol and his club. Yeah, I think the best way for them to win games, not necessarily even on the home run ball anymore. Like I know my saying is slug, baby, slug. Well, if the ball ain't carrying, then there's no need to try the slug, baby, slug. I, The bottom of the order, which is what I've been talking about, is going to be the thing for me. They have those guys near the bottom that have that steal potential. I know we've been seeing O'Neill run. We've seen Edmund run. But hey, Edmundo Sosa, if he can get on base, Bader, who's been hitting near the bottom of the order, if you can get those guys on base and they start stealing, and then that lineup turns back around towards your two, three, four, five hitters, you feel really good about what your offense is going to be. Because I think the small, I think their small ball is going to be something that we're going to be looking at later on this year. We're going to be pointing out that, hey, a big reason they're winning these games is because of what they're doing right here, and it's the stolen bases. Because I don't remember which... Uh, I don't remember who it was yesterday, but someone stole second. I think it was O'Neal, and then he was driven in on a single that otherwise it, you're not talking about because it's not going to drive in that run, and the Cardinals are really good at stolen bases. I was shocked that they they didn't have a lot of base runners. I guess that's not fair of me to say, but in that game against Max Scherzer, I really thought when they got a guy on, I think Edmund got on twice or at least once, that he was going to be going because Scherzer looked a little slow to the plate, and that's one of those games where you look at, okay, we got to steal a base, and we're going to have to try and steal a run. And that's something that I think the Cardinals are going to be really good at this year. Yeah, and right now now, just for what it's worth, they're 11th in batting average as a team. They're 12th in on-base percentage, 17th in slugging percentage. They have not been striking out much at all this year. They're 8th in Major League Baseball there, right in the middle of the pack at 15th in walk rate. The Cardinals' offense, while it is frustrating to watch right now locally, when you look at it in the big picture sense, they've been a top 10 to 12 offense so far in Major League Baseball. I think that speaks more to the struggles everybody is having than it does to suggest that the Cardinals have been some offensive juggernaut. But what you're watching is just uh, this is what all of baseball is going through right now. Nobody, for some reason, is slugging right now. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESP, and we'll ask him the question that we talked about earlier today. If you could say one Blues player that's going to benefit the most if this team goes on a run to the Cup, who would that be? We'll talk to Joey about that at 12 o'clock. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. We pretty much know Ville Husa will start game one, but how long of a leash does he have if he struggles in game one, Alex? I guess it depends on how bad he struggles. What I mean by that is, does the team look awful in front of him also, or is it just on Ville Husa? That, I think, will be a really 
big decider. But, I mean, let's just go off past experience with goaltenders that struggle under Craig Berube. 2019, where Bennington would have a bad game, you'd go right back to him. Um, In the bubble, when Bennington struggled, they gave Bennington the first three games and then they let Jake Allen play those next two and they won those next two and then they went back to Jordan Bennington. So if the only way you see Billy Husso out of that net without an injury is if the Blues are facing elimination and the goaltender is the problem, then I think you'd see a a change in between the pipes. I think that's fair because I think the way the Blues are going to approach this and it seems to be Craig Berube's kind of MO in the playoffs is... I'm going to live and die by my number one goaltender. I'm not going to switch in and out. And I, I like that approach rather than going, oh, one bad game. I got to I got to quickly go back to Jordan Bennington. No, I like the approach of, you know what? Billy Husso's the guy. And if things go bad in two, three games, then you make the decision to pull him. I think two games is the sweet spot. That way you don't go down 3-0 like they did in the bubble and have to try and come back. I think he's in that. I think he's your guy. You're going down with the captain. Um, I, I remember... I think it was in the bubble, right? When they stuck with Binner, even through all of his struggles, he started every game out there, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think it's the same thing here. Well, I think the, there were because they had Jake Allen come in once they were facing elimination. Because he did. won he won game four, I believe. And then they went back to Jake, he won game five, and then they went back to Bennington in game six and they lost that game. Yeah, and that's that's basically what I'm talking about here, where it's like, hey, if we're gonna go down, we're gonna go down with our guy. And I think this year their guy is Ville Husso. That can change next year. They could easily go back to Jordan Bennington in 2023. But right now, I think Ville Husso is your guy. So I think they, they stick with him no matter what. Yeah. Uh, unless it's like just an objective failure and he looks clearly overwhelmed by the moment. That's the only thing. And the only guy that would know that is, um, is Craig Bird. I, I just think if they need to get out of some type of rut and it's not working with Billy Husso, then they'll go to Bennington to try and spark something. And if that doesn't look good, they'll switch that again also. From the 3-1-4, if Debo Samuel were traded to the Ravens tonight, would him and Lamar Jackson become the scariest quarterback-wide receiver combo in the NFL? It's still Patrick, but oh, wait. <laughs> really? Yeah, him and the Kansas really? City Chiefs. Really? Sorry, we really it, was just a, do that? it was a memory. Did you, were you about to say Jamison Williams and Patrick Mahomes? No, no, I was going to say Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, can't but say it was a memory, scary, memory You can't fart. say they're scary if they, they didn't draft them, and Jamison Williams is going to be too expensive for Kansas City. Who's the number one on that list right now? Is it Diggs with Allen? Is it Chase with uh, Burrow? I think it's Cup is and it Stafford. Stafford. I was about to say Stafford and Cup. I think, I think it's, it's still Cup and Stafford. I think it's Cup and Stafford. I don't think Cooper Cup's going to take a step back next year, so I think it's them. I think one that could be like one that we're talking about next year could be uh, Tua and Tyreek or Tua and Jalen Waddle. No, I'm not putting Tua on that list. Yeah, because Tyreek was a product. <laughs> Tua's of not going to be their quarterback next year. It's going to be Tom Brady. So Tom Brady and one of those guys, sure. I don't even think if if Debo was traded to Baltimore, I don't even think they'd be top three and dangerous. Uh, because I would have I would have Diggs and Allen, I would have Burrow and Chase, and I would have Cup and Stafford before I would before I would even get to Debo and Lamar. Plus, that offense is still kind of like run first. One to watch for next year: Cortland Sutton with Russell Wilson. Cortland Sutton's a really that's good a, receiver. That's, that's a good one. And Any he, of those wide receivers, Jerry Judy with Russell Wilson. Sutton, the reason why I would go with him as my pick from the Broncos is because he wins the way that Russell Wilson likes to throw the ball. He's going to win deep, and he's going to win contested catches, and that's that's the way that Russell Wilson has liked it in the past. So I, I would go with them. And by the way, I don't think that if you're looking at the Chargers, what they have with Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert, they don't get enough love. They are a yeah. terrifying or, duo. Or Drew Locke and DK Metcalf. Yeah. 
That's going to be a great one. That's going to be a dominant one. I couldn't say that with a straight face. And Devontae Adams and Aaron... Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions Ooh. and answers. Last one here, uh, BK. If you were the Chiefs GM, what do you do tonight? Do you trade for Debo Samuel? Do you move up for a high draft pick? Do you keep your first four picks and build the defense? If I was in charge, we would be moving up for Kayvon Thibodeau if he falls out of the top eight. Thibodeau is the defensive end out of Oregon. He would be the one that I would be moving up for. Will Seattle move that pick though? I would think so. Yeah, they. I mean, they basically have very few picks, and they've got a lot of holes on that roster. Um, that that would be what my hope would be. I don't think they'll do it though. I think they're going to take a receiver at thirty, and I think they make a slight move up for uh, a defensive end, George Karloftis or somebody like that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll talk more on the NFL draft. We've got some prop bets that we're going to get into. We're going to try to make you guys some money with the NFL draft as you guys are watching tonight. Let's so we'll do go. that That's a bad in idea. 15 minutes. But coming up next, Joey Vitale joins the show here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line as we are getting to the end of this regular season for the St. Louis Blues. They finish it out tomorrow night against the eliminated Vegas Golden Woo! Knights. Joey Vitale will be on the call for that right here on your home for the Blues. 101 ESPN. He joins us now. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, well, Joey. Well. Little delayed there, yeah, boys. We were, we were Little slow. delayed there. Oh, no. Sorry, was Joey. Delayed, we were not slow. Me. That's okay. Sloppy. That's okay, guys. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll sort through it. We'll sort through it. I'm doing well, guys. How are you today? Uh, doing all right. Joey, what what can I glean from this game against Las Vegas? Is there is there anything that we're going to learn about the Blues in this one? Um, You know, yeah, there's, there's going to be some things you're going to learn. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be just about everyone. I would expect maybe a similar lineup to what we saw in Colorado. I think Braden Shen's still a little dinged up. They want to give him a little bit more time. David Prawn dealing with a, no, a lower body nagging injury. Uh, is another one that I would maybe expect to see out. Although Braden Shen actually felt better the other day, so he may actually return um, in tomorrow's game. But I think you know players like Tory Crew that have been taking their maintenance games here and there. We, we maybe don't see them, uh, but at the same time, there's a couple things that are, are really important to this team. We all know about home ice; it's, it's very within their reach. If they win tomorrow, and let's just say Minnesota loses tonight, I mean, it, it puts them in a in, in a wonderful spot. Heck, even if they win uh, tomorrow and Minnesota wins tonight. They're still in a great spot because then Minnesota just has to lose one of the next two. They own the tiebreaker. So it's important for them to win that game. This is a team that wants to open up on home ice. They feel very good here. feel very comfortable here. The crowd at the Enterprise Center all season long has been just anything less than spectacular. It has been phenomenal. I go to all these buildings. It is amazing. The sellouts we've had, the energy we've had. I mean, it has become one of the funnest buildings in all the country, and visiting players say that too. So it's important for the Blues to definitely get the win. I think on the other thing, a couple of things that Craig Bruby's mentioned over the last probably week or so to me is, you know, increasing the physicality. It's not something you can flip a switch on. 
come next Monday or Tuesday, whatever it'll be versus the Minnesota Wild, is something they have to establish. It's not something that's a part of their team very often. They're not known as a very physical team. I think they're okay with that. They're more of a rush puck possession team. That's how they've evolved. You know, players like Bushnevich and Saad, and of course, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, uh, defensemen like Nick Letty and Tori Krug on the back end, be able to snap the pucks up. You don't need to play a heavy style anymore. You can just hold on to the puck. But at the same time, in, in playoffs, you have to play physical. You have to have that kind of bar- Ivan Barbashev um, ability to go out there and kind of run someone through the boards every now and then and kind of have that consistent approach. So I think the physicality is going to be something they're going to be looking for tomorrow. Definitely getting the two points to hopefully get um, closer to home ice advantage. And then the last thing I'll say is they want to defend well for Billy Huso. This is the goalie I think that they are going to lean on come next week. I think he is going to be the starter. And I think that you want to make sure Billy's feeling good heading into the first game of his playoffs where you know, you're, you're defending hard, you're keeping things to the outside. Maybe he sees 25, 26 shots, but they're all from the outside where he can see them. Maybe he lets in one, maybe two, but nothing more than that. Where his confidence is going, he's feeling good about himself and his game heading into next week against the Minnesota Wild. Joe, we talk a lot about you know playing the right way down the stretch going into the playoffs and how meaningful it is, but, but from a player's perspective and from a locker room's perspective that you've been a part of, how important is that final month of the season for a team? It's really important. You know, you, you want you want to be hitting the ground running. You want this is this is building momentum for game one. And, and I know it's crazy, but I think uh, your identity of what you're going to bring game one, I think it actually starts tomorrow night. I mean, it started a week and a half ago. It started two weeks ago for this team. This is this is what they want to do. You have to be familiar with your line mates. You have to be familiar with your D partner. You have to be familiar about the penalty kill breakout or the power play breakout or, or, or the entry zones when you have a power play coming at you. In order to be familiar, um, when you're familiar, you, you gain confidence in that. And then that confidence carries over from game to game. So it's definitely something where we've seen where you can't be playing bad hockey heading into that first game. And I think the Blues have done a lot of great things heading in there, even if they have a bit of a stinker tomorrow night with some players out. Listen, it is what it is. Like we saw in Colorado, they had some good periods, some bad periods. I think they've established enough. They know how they want to play, and I think they're just going to want the confidence. They have the veterans to do it. We all know that. We have Stanley Cup champions on this team from 2019. You have added Stanley Cup champions and Brandon Saad and Nick Letty. You know, and then the other the other aspect is is the new guys. I mean, everyone's talking about the, the veterans and, and the Stanley Cup champions, and we got so much experience, and we do have all that. But we do have a good handful of some young guys, I and mean, we have the Torpchenkos. And the, Lo- the Logan Brown has not played a playoff game. I mean, again, part of that 2016 draft class has not played a playoff game, but he he's going to be a player going to be kind of looking and observing and, and witnessing the right way to do it. You know what I mean? And for Torpchenko, for Logan Brown, Nathan Walker, I think just has the one game there in Washington when he won a Stanley Cup. So very, very minimal playoff experience there. It's a different beast. It's a different breed. The energy's up. Everything gets ratcheted up. The speed of the game, uh, every pass that gets missed is, is magnified. Maybe it's coming back the other way. Every time you allow a chance, it can end up in the back of your net. That goal could decide a game. That game could decide a series. I mean, everything is, is amplified. So for those young guys, to, to witness and to see uh, and have the veterans, you know, showing them the way. I mean, that, that, that's the biggest thing which they've done. You know, it's like, like I've always said, you got a family of black bears in the wild and, and, the, and the black bear cubs don't, don't sit down under the, under the sycamore tree with mama bear and, and talk about how to pick blueberries and which blueberries to pick. And this is how I pick them. And when you pick them, do it like this. It's not, a, it's not an orientation about how to eat blueberries, right? You just go out in the wild and you follow mama bear and, and you eat the blueberries and you watch and you do as she does. And I think that's what the, the young guys are going to have to do. They're just going to wash the O'Reilly's and wash the prawns and wash the Colton Fragos and see how they do things and learn as they go. 
We're talking to Joey Vitale, who breaks down hockey in a way that only he can here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Joey, earlier today, I was reading over on ESPN, and they were writing about the guys who could gain the most by winning a Stanley Cup this year. And uh, guys like Claude Giroux and Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, players who do not have a cup yet. They, they were at the top of this list. The Blues didn't have anybody on there because most of their guys have a cup at this point. But I did want to ask you, because we talked about this a little bit earlier today, if the Blues were to win the Cup this year, which player do you think stands to gain the most in terms of how they're viewed nationally from this current roster? Is there one that immediately comes to mind for you? Oh, you're talking about the players that have not won a Cup on this team, you're saying? No, but e- even the guys that have. like, Is there one guy that you think if, if the Blues go on a run to the Cup this year nationally, people will have their minds changed or altered on how they view that specific player? Sure. No, I think that's, that's a great question. I think that to me it's Tory Krug. You know, um, Justin Falk is kind of that second player. I think I'm just going to focus on those two guys in the back end. You know, you got, let's just take Tory Krug, for example, but so many similarities between the two of them. You know, Tory's gotten there a little bit closer than Justin. You know, I think that, you know, Tory's made it to the finals. It's kind of had it stripped away from him. He spent his whole career in one organization with the Boston Bruins, you know, an undrafted player, an undersized player. I mean, nobody wanted him at the draft, and then he signs as a free agent with Boston. He's always been, you know, that five nine stature, going up against some big time forwards, shutting down roles. Um, did great in Boston, part of their culture there. Make it to the Stanley Cup championship, you lose. Then you get traded to the team that beat you. I mean, so many great storylines, and I think that Tory Krug is certainly one of those players that would jump off the page as a guy that deserves a cup, and certainly one that would elevate him to, to, to the stature of what you're talking about. And I think, in the same reason, Justin Falk, you know, again with one organization in Carolina, he's come close a couple times, but he hasn't um, got over that hump, won a championship, and I think it's going to uh, put a, a, a bigger uh, microscope on Justin Falk. I think he is uh, by far the most underrated defenseman in our conference maybe in the National Hockey League. I, it's just it's amazing how more people are not talking about what he has done this year. I was talking to Craig Bruby in the hallway before the Colorado game, and we were kind of just small talking, maybe uh, the most valuable players of the team. He threw out a couple names, and I threw out Justin Falk, and he nodded, absolutely, right? I mean, that, that is what he's done. He's taking care of the pocket 200 feet. You can't get around him. His angles, his angles are like almost like, like perfection. He, he, he hardly ever skates backwards. If you're, him and Tory Crew both, uh, they've evolved the defensive position. They don't. They don't skate backwards a lot. They almost just skate forwards in the angle. They're like they're like that Australian sheepdog. They're just herding sheep all over the ice. You, know, you got Nathan McKinnon. You got Nathan McKinnon. You're you're pushing him into an area he doesn't want to be. You're pushing him to the corner. You know, and it's just an angle you take from the inside out. And they put the stick in the right position, and you're forcing him to an area. I mean, honestly, God, they remind me of those little sheepdogs where the sheep are bad. They're just kind of going all over the ice. But that's what they do. It's amazing how he's evolved the position that way, and he's taking care of all 200 feet. He's getting the offense now. 16 goals in the year, guys. It's crazy. I mean, again, Justin Falk would be another one. Joe, final one that I wanted to ask you before we get into this first round of the playoffs, because we won't talk to you until they start. What's the one matchup you're looking forward to between the Blues and Wild? Oh, that's, that's another good one. I haven't even looked that far ahead, but, you know, just off the paper, you know, I think that I think that Ryan O'Reilly um, is going to get a good matchup there with the Fiala line, and I think that's going to be kind of true for both sides. I, actually, I think the Erickson Eck line is going to have the responsibility of Robert Thomas line. This is this is going to be a big one. You know, Erickson Eck, Greenway, they got some big bodies on that line that like to play physical, that like to play in your face. They play fast. They play defensively savvy. You know, so if you're if you're Billy Billy Garen and you're you know the coaching staff of the Minnesota Wild and you're kind of breaking down these matchups right now, 
I think it's the Erickson Eck line against the Robert Thomas line. And, and I like that matchup. And I think it's going to be the most important one is because you have to look at how Robert Thomas's line has been doing over the last month and a half, two months of hockey. With Vladimir Tarasenko, Pavel Buchnevich, they're almost untouchable. It's almost like every game. It's not a matter if they're going to score. It's when they're going to score. Uh, the puck possession, the creativity, the confidence in the offensive zone. I mean, everything they touch right now is turning to gold. Every pass is being executed. They're putting pucks between three different bodies and it's somehow ended up tape to tape. It's just I haven't seen anything like this out of a line since probably I've been broadcasting for the last four years uh, of a line specifically for St. Louis. Now, I think that if, can they continue that run? Can they continue to roll? Can they continue to be productive? And I think that's going to be the Erickson and Greenway tree, uh, double and then whoever's on that wing. That's going to be their job. Probably Felino, actually, now I think about it. Felino, Greenway, Erickson, it's going to be their job to shut down this monster of St. Louis. And if that's, if that scoring comes to an abrupt stop, yep, the Blues have, uh, they got depth, you know, and, and, they're, and they're confident in their depth. But, but that, that is the majority of their productive right now. And that is the majority of their scoring right now. So if that line gets shut down, that, what happens? Guys, it puts more pressure on the other line. Now you got a little bit more pressure for the Orion line. Now you got a little bit more pressure for the Braden Shen line. And sometimes that pressure is something that you don't feel very comfortable with. Like in football, you know, the quarterback feels lots of pressure when there's no run game. You know, then he's got to be forced to throw the ball. But if you've got a good run game, then he can sit in the pocket confidently once every four downs and make, make a good pass. And it's no different with the Robert Thomas line. Once they're going, everyone feels more confident that they're going to get the hard matchups and they can go out there and just chip in here and every now and then. But if they get shut down, it does add that pressure, um, which, which could disrupt this offense a little bit as they're on this, on this tear of scoring. So to me, that's going to be the, the forward matchup to keep an eye on. It's going to be that Eric's next centerman against Robert Thomas with Polino and Greenway, of course, going to get up against Tarasenko Buchnader. It's going to be a fun one, no, no doubt. I don't know about you, Alex, but I think uh, Joey Vitale just said Iki Kwanu is going to be your number one overall pick for the Jaguars at plus 450 from the FanDuel Sportsbook. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Anytime, fellas. You guys have a great week. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. He will be on the call for Blues versus the Vegas Golden Knights tomorrow night. Puck drop for that one at 7 o'clock. Alex will have your pregame coverage tomorrow at 6 as the Blues finish out their regular season. I glean that I'm pretty excited for that matchup tomorrow. T-Bone, what about you? That's a made-up word. Gleam? 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 M or N? N. Oh. It's Gleam. N. I I marked it as Gleam when I cut the audio. (laughs) Not nice. <laughs> uh, BK's gl- using words that don't mean anything. Come I'm, on, man. I'm gleaming. Yeah, gleaming from ear to ear. Yep. Let's win some money on the NFL draft next. <laughs> I mean, honestly, God, they remind me of those little sheep dogs. Where the sheep are bad. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's bet on the NFL draft, boys. Let's do it. So there are a whole lot of prop bets that you could place right now over on the FanDuel Sportsbook if you so choose to do so. One of them is who's going to be the number one overall pick, Alex. And two weeks ago, this was a no doubter. It was very clearly going to be Aiden Hutchinson. Now it feels like it's the opposite. Last night when I checked these, Trayvon Walker was minus 300, which means you have to bet $300 to win $100 to be the number one overall pick. He has now gone all the way down to minus 450. You have to bet almost $500 to win $100. He is the overwhelming favorite to be the number one overall pick. Do you believe he will actually end up being the number one overall pick? I think so. I think 
I, I think the, these can always change, obviously. But when, when you got a player coming from Georgia, a defensive player, it, it just makes an awful lot of sense. And if that's become the favorite, it seems like everyone's leaning in that direction. So I don't really have one lean or the other because I feel like when it comes to defensive linemen, you can flip-flop and it doesn't really matter. So if they believe that this is the right matchup for Jacksonville, I'll back what the betters are saying and say that uh, Walker's going to be first overall. Yeah, I think it's going to be Walker first overall. About a week ago, I was with you. I thought it was going to be Hutchinson for sure. For sure, but apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars front office really likes him. I, I think they're going to end up taking him. All the reports seem to be leaning that way. If I had to put money on it, I, w- I would bet him. I almost feel like there's no other like bet I'd be willing to put down on the number one. Pick. I think so too. It's stunning though. Like I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I, I can't remember the last time that it was this late into the process that somebody clearly became the number one overall pick. I mean, maybe Baker. I didn't really believe that Baker was actually going to be the guy until they did it. I thought the whole time Sam Darnold was going to be the player. Quarterbacks are different than defensive linemen because defensive linemen, like, you know what you're getting. The quarterbacks are so many different things that fall into it. So it's so weird how these things go like that, where you just get two guys that are essentially the same player. I think the other one was Mario Williams versus Reggie Bush and Vince Young. Tanner, you were like two. Um, (laughs) But those guys were all debated for the... uh, for the Houston Texans and they ended up going Mario Williams. And there was a surprise there because Vince young is from the area. People thought that he would be the, the number one overall pick. Uh, that was the other one that came to mind, by the way, apparently number two is now up for debate. I thought it would be obvious. Aiden Hutchinson seems like the exact Dan Campbell type of player. Is Malik Willis there now. No Kayvon Thibodeau. My guy is getting a lot of buzz today as potentially being the number two overall pick. Who is to more likely Thibodeau or Hutchinson to bite someone's kneecap? Uh, Hutchinson. Very clearly Aiden Hutchinson. All right. Well, then he's the one that's going to go. I assumed it as well. I actually don't think that's necessarily a bad bet right now. It's minus 175 over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. You bet 175 bucks to win 100. It's not great odds, but I, I'd be kind of surprised at this point if he's not the number two pick. All right. Next one up. Which team is going to draft Kenny Pickett? Here are your odds, Alex. The Saints are two to one. The Panthers are two and a half to one. You've got the Steelers at three and a half to one Titans at nine to one Seahawks at 12 to one. And then everybody else is pretty far behind them. Who do you like to, uh, to take Kenny Pickett, put the money on Pittsburgh Steelers taking Kenny Pickett. I mean, it just makes all of the sense in the world. I think that's right around the area that he would usually go with everything that the drafts or the mock drafts have put him in there. And then you're talking about the Pitt state kid going to Pittsburgh. That one makes the most sense in my opinion. I think I like Pickett to Pittsburgh as well. I think Pittsburgh takes a quarterback. I'm not sure if it's him or it's, I think Malik, it's Malik Willis. Willis. I, think, I think Willis is think probably Willis a is better be fit because he probably will um, – because he's going to go there. He's going to be the backup. He can learn a year under Tomlin's system. Pickett almost feels like he could probably win the job from Mitchell Trubisky. Granted, Malik Willis probably could Anyone too. can win the job from Mitchell Trubisky. But I think I would put it, I would put it on – Pittsburgh, I think for now, because I kind of agree with Alex. I could see Malik Willis going to like Carolina at six. I don't think Malik will be there and when Pittsburgh selects. One team that I kind of like is the Detroit Lions at 20 to one, not with the number two pick, but they have the 32nd overall pick in the first round. That feels like a spot where they could take a quarterback. To pick me. It sounds like just another Jared Goff, though. I could see it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise why me. Would, why would you want another Jared Goff to learn under Jared Goff? I think they should take Desmond Ritter at 32. I don't know if he's going to be good or not, but at 32, I think it's worth the risk. Let's do the same thing with Malik Willis. The odds for him, Steelers plus 125. That's what I would bet on personally. 
The Saints at three to one. Panthers and Seahawks are both at five to one to draft Malik Willis. Lions at uh, ten to one, and the Falcons are at six to one to draft mm-hmm. Malik Willis. Who do you like there? I like the Panthers. The Falcons are interesting though, because if you can get him, he might be starting for him next year. If you were able to get Malik Willis. I still, I, I would say, put the money on the Carolina Panthers. They need a quarterback. I mean, you can't go into this season, regardless if you think you compete or you can't compete. You can't go into this season with Sam Darnold. You know Cam Newton's not going to be there. You don't have a quarterback. You didn't make any moves in the offseason unless you're going after a Baker Mayfield at the draft. So, barring any unforeseen trades that take place, I think Malik Willis goes sixth overall to Carolina. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning to. Is I, I think Carolina might go with them because they def, des, desperately need a quarterback. The, the interesting one is Seattle, but I I don't get the sense that they're looking at a quarterback, which is odd because surely you're not looking at Drew Locke going, that's the hero we need, a mm-hmm. quarterback. But I, I think if Seattle trades down, which I think they might, if they trade down, and let's say they just go to like 15. I don't, know, I don't even know who's at 15. But let's just say they trade down. Philly, right? Uh, right around there. It's like Philly, New Orleans, Philly. and the Chargers let's, are all in that area. Let's say they trade down to 15 and Carolina passes up on them. Then maybe Seattle becomes an interesting team to keep an eye on for Malik Willis. But for right now, I think I'm going to say Carolina because I, they just reek of desperation, and that feels like a Carolina move. Next one, so as we keep going, lineman. I've got the Steelers at plus 125 for Malik Willis. Total quarterbacks in the first round. The over-under is set at three and a half. This is crazy to me. I think that it should be lower than this. The over is plus 225, so you bet $100, you win $225 if it goes over three and a half quarterbacks in the first round. Under is minus 400 now. Wow. So it, it's not even worth If you think it's going to be under three and a half in the first round it's not even worth the bet honestly because the return is so small unless you bet a significant amount on it i i would be shocked honestly at this point if it's over three and a half though i can't even think of four that would go because i'm surprised the number's not two and a half i I can't think of 14 willis yeah malik willis pick it or probably the two i think go and then Ritter's a question mark. And who's the next one? Corral? Uh, maybe Corral. May- or, uh, what's Ritter? his name from North Carolina? I said yeah. Ritter. Oh, did you? Um, is it Howell? Sam Howell. Yeah, Howell. I can't think of four teams that are going into this draft that absolutely need a quarterback. Like now. Seattle, Pittsburgh. Carolina. Carolina. Atlanta. And I don't even know if you could argue. I mean, Seattle seems to think Drew Locke is their quarterback. Yeah, those are probably the ones. New and then Orleans. Detroit, I think. They don't need one right now, but they could. if right. they took one, it would make some sense. So I could see it. It's the under on this one, and, and you're right. Don't even bet on this. There's no it. way that four quarterbacks get selected in the first round. I have two. How about this one? First wide receiver selected. The favorite right now is Garrett Wilson, the receiver out of Ohio State, at minus 160. Drake London and Jamison Williams are plus 250, so two and a half to one. Chris Olave, Traylon Burks are 25 to one. Which one do you like as the first wide receiver selected? See, this is the thing. I feel like all these wide receivers are just kind of grouped together. Like, I don't feel like there's one. And maybe it's because I haven't read as much into them. But I love the the Jamison Williams two and a half to one. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Speed always plays in the draft, man. I know he's got a torn this, ACL. but I've heard a lot about the Drake London one, too, though. I've heard a lot about his name popping up. So either of those two, I, I feel like. I think Atlanta like really likes Drake London do they? from what I've read and heard. Well, he'll be great for their quarterback to throw, too. Yeah, Marcus Mariota. But I like Jamison Williams, too, because of what you said. His speed and, like, uh, I don't remember who it was that was breaking down on ESPN, but what he, people are raving about his film now, too, at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, he was awesome. He yeah, was awesome. not just the speed anymore. Last one, Alex. This is specifically for you. I wanted to pull Hit this out. That. Jordan Davis over under 13 and a half. Where does he go? Oh, my 
Wait, hold on. Over under 13 and a half. So under means he's before 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had to make sure that he's 13 or earlier. I, I think it's going to be under. I think he goes top 10. I, th- I, I, I think Seattle might be the team that takes him. Guys that, that big, nine, that run that fast. I just can't see him getting out of the I'll top 10. I'll state it again. The man can block an entire offensive line with his arm reach. Seattle makes a lot of sense for him. Yeah. Yeah, it does make and a I look good in neon greens. So I'll take it. <laughs> Coming up in That's 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, I love Mike Farron. I think he's one of the best MLB hosts in the country. We're going to talk to him about this Cardinals team, the Mets versus the Cardinals potential rivalry that is emerging. And the hell's going on with the baseball this year? We'll talk to Mike Farron about it all. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, the host for MLB Network Radio. He's Mike Farron joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I am great. It is a beautiful day in Phoenix, and I'm taking advantage of it before it gets to be 110. Hey, man, we we hear you. It's less beautiful here, but it was a nice day in St. Louis yesterday. <laughs> Still not 110, which is always <laughs> no. good, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's better than the alternative. Uh, Mike, yesterday's uh, Cardinals game got a little out of hand with the Mets, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that was kind of interesting at the end, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that are at play in here, right? The Mets are getting hit a ton, like way more, I think six more times than the next closest team. And their right-handed hitters are being pitched in basically more than anybody else's right-handed hitters in the league. So, and people are throwing pitches at the top of the zone more than they ever are. So it's like, you can see why the recipe, why they were getting upset. And if you're Arenado, and even though Buck Walter said that they weren't going to be throwing at anybody, you're in a five run game in the ninth inning you're one of the star players. You're bracing yourself for that moment, right, where you're getting thrown at. So even though the pitch didn't look to be all that close to Arenado's head, I probably would react the same way. To, well, I shouldn't say that. I would probably plot. <laughs> I think <laughs> Nolan probably handle it better than I would because I have to think that that is absolutely terrifying if you're anticipating it and then there's a 96-mile-an-hour pitch up near your neck, you know, even if it's not right at you. So. I kind of understand where everybody got to in that, well, why the bench is cleared, why everybody is upset on both sides. And um, I guess the good news is that they get a couple week break before they have to square off again. Mike, are the Mets becoming villains in baseball? No, I don't think so. I don't, I mean, why would they be villains? They're the ones who keep getting hit. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't really get the sense that they're villains. In fact, I think that they're a pretty enduring bunch. Um, they brought in a number of really high-character players from the outside. You know, obviously Scherzer gets the, the big bill, but I view Bassett that way, you know, despite his complaints about the baseball. I mean, he's not alone in feeling that way, but they might be in the minority in terms of pitchers who feel that way about the ball. But Escobar, Tana, Starling Marte, I mean, I actually think it's a pretty likable bunch. So I don't get the sense that they're villains. They might be villains in St. Louis. I was about to say. Happen, that's fine. <laughs> they are here that's now. Fine. I mean, listen, they're, they're I mean, I, I think it's kind of weird that they would be villains in that 
after they were the team that got hit a bunch in the series. It's right? mostly like, Pete Alonzo, I think, Mike. I think it's mostly Pete Alonzo, not not the rest of the team, because he said if I could, if I wanted to put somebody in the hospital, I could. He's a big guy. I think that he was just. I mean, he was just disappointed he got taken sure. down by a five eight fifty year old man. It was quite the scene. Between that and Giovanni Gallegos jumping over the bullpen to sprint into the infield, it, it was, that was terrific. Can the Blues use him tonight? Like, my gosh, he was ready for the third line. It was amazing. It, it was quite the scene. And to, to be clear, none of us here are really all that upset about anything that happened yesterday. I found most of it to be pr- pretty funny, honestly. Um, I. I I'm just glad nobody ended up getting hurt in any of it. Um, Mike, I did want to ask you, though, about that series on the baseball side of things, because uh, the first game ended poorly for the Cardinals. But up until that ninth inning, they had been playing incredibly well. And then you get a weird throw by Nolan Arenado. And then Giovanni Gallegos didn't cover first base. And you end up losing that game five to two. And then yesterday they play so well once again. I think we're talking very differently here in St. Louis if that first game ends with them winning. How do you view this Cardinals team after watching them in a big test against the Mets? You know, I pulled out my magic eight ball on that this morning, um, and it wasn't much help because I don't quite know yet how to evaluate the Cardinals. I'm not quite as high on the Cardinals as maybe some other people are. I think there's some depth issues pitching-wise, and I do have some lineup concerns and again, like anything that comes out of this is, is with a huge small sample size caveat, right? Because we're not even an eighth of the way through the season. But I do think that the, the one thing worth watching is their numbers against right-handed pitching in particular, where they're down towards the bottom of the league in terms of production. They're pretty right-handed. You know, and I, I liked the Corey Dickerson move in the sense that you get a left-handed bat in there you know, could they have gone bigger at the beginning of the winter? Sure, but that wasn't going to happen. So based on the personnel that was available to them, I felt like Dickerson was a good fit. I just am not quite sure where they're going to go offensively. I'm a little concerned about their depth of starting pitching. But that said, like, if they're going to play at this kind of level where they're, you know, you know, basically winning, you know, 53% of their games until Jack Flaherty comes back, I think that they would – take that for sure because I think once Flaherty is healthy I think he's an immense difference maker but I don't have a great feel for where they sit right now and I think some of it is because you've got guys like you know Carlson whose strikeout rate has dropped precipitously I think that's really encouraging it just hasn't had much impact to this point Goldschmidt really hasn't been impactful as of yet Um, I think it's super encouraging that Arnado swung the bat the way he has um, when Nolan gets hot, he can carry a team like that for months at a time. So I'm still kind of in that I don't know exactly what to do with the Cardinals, but it's a pretty solid start overall. And it's not like Milwaukee, who's a team that I, I think they're better offensively than what the perception is of them, but it's not like they're so much better that they're in a position right now where they can run away with things. So I'm still kind of getting a feel for where the Cardinals sit. I'm with you on that one too, Mike. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans are hoping that Nolan Gorman, whenever he gets called up, is going to really help that, I guess, question from the left side for offense for this Cardinals team. My question to you is, though, how do you feel like Nolan Gorman fits with this Cardinals team? Is it going to be as a DH or is it going to be as a second baseman? Well, I mean, I think, you know, this is tough to say because Tommy Edmonds off such a hot start. I really think that Edmonds 
best role is probably as a guy who can play a bunch of different positions. And so I think second base probably makes sense. And they already have a lot of DH options, right? You've got Dickerson, you've got Pujols. You know, they're, they're not going to cut bait on Albert Pujols. I and mean, not to mention they swing the bat well. So you would be limiting plate appearances there. So I guess you would have to go with it at, at second base. And I haven't heard enough on how Gorman's defense has evolved at that position. I mean, the Cardinals do such a great job of putting their defenders in the best position possible that it may not matter. But I think he could have, you know, he could be impactful. But I also am always really concerned, especially now, maybe more so than I was five or six years ago even, about young players and their impact right away. And the reason is, is that despite the fact that everybody is throwing harder than ever before, they're also throwing their fastball less than ever before. And fewer fastballs means fewer good pitches to hit. And I think if you were to look at the way Bobby Wood Jr. has been pitched in Kansas City or Julio Rodriguez has been pitched at Seattle, you'll see that they're seeing a significant amount of breaking balls compared to fastballs because teams are already treating them like, okay, they know how to hit the fastball. Let's see if they can adjust to this. And I have a feeling that same thing is going to happen with Gorman. So just dropping Nolan Gorman right in the middle of that lineup and saying, or, or to the bottom third of the lineup and saying, all right, this is going to fix everything. I don't think that's fair to Gorman. I think he's going to need several hundred plate appearances to get adjusted. And I think that the Cardinals have a really good example of that in Dylan Carlson in showing how that adjustment period is now for young hitters. Yeah, I I remember when he first came up, he was exclusively getting thrown breaking balls, basically, Mike, and Mm -hmm. then they had to send him back down. That was during the 2020 season. He made a couple of of adjustments to it. He was better whenever he returned. And then if you remember in that playoff series against San Diego, he was batting cleanup for him. But that was more a result of the lineup struggling than anything he did necessarily. So it's it's interesting. Um, I I just think so much of that is related to their shortstop situation as well, Mm -hmm. because you look at DeYoung and Sosa, they're both off to relatively slow starts this season. Mike, where do you stand on this Paul DeYoung thing? Because he's he's obviously been the talk of the town all offseason as it was such a loaded shortstop class, and they decided to stick with, from within. Do you have hope that he's going to be able to turn this around? I mean, I always hope that guys get it turned around. Sure. But we're dealing with like two and a half years of track record where he's hitting under 200. I mean, I think if you go back to... I looked at this last year. It's something like the beginning of June in 2019. You know, his, his numbers are, you know, you guys are going to see the Diamondbacks this week. Nick Ahmed has not been a great offensive player. I think Ahmed has actually been a more productive offensive player over the last two and a half years than DeYoung has been. And he adds in gold glove defense to it. So I, you know, I, I have a tough time with it. I, would I like to see DeYoung rally? Yeah. I think there's some approach things that kind of limit his ceiling. And, and I do worry a little bit about that spot. I mean, I really felt like this winter, if they were going to upgrade the team, the spot to do it would be in the middle infield, either at second or short, to try and add some offensive thumb. Now, they, they sat out the high end of the free agent market, and that's where most of the shortstops were located. So your choices are DeYoung or Sosa, who was terrific as a rookie last year. They need somebody who can catch the ball in that position. They do a pretty solid job defensively. I think the metrics are higher on DeYoung than I think the eye test would be, but he really has done a very, very nice job for them overall. I'm not sure. Like I need, I need much like the rest of the Cardinals offense. I need another couple of weeks, three weeks maybe to really get a feel for where DeYoung is. But if he is still struggling, it would behoove them to make a decision fairly quickly on what other direction they could go. 
because I don't think that the offense around him is strong enough to withstand a position that is a minus on the offensive side. Mike, final one for me, and I know we talked a little bit about pitching at the beginning of our interview, uh, but I wanted to go back to it. How impressed have you been with this Cardinals bullpen, and do you feel like that this bullpen could be uh, directing a lot of eyes towards them on the national stage by the end of the season? Yeah, well, I'm a huge Giovanni Gallegos guy. I think he's just, I think he's one of the best relievers in the league anyway. So I think that's super encouraging. I mean, listen, the, the, I guess the big difference is from when we started last year and they had so many issues throwing strikes, whatever internal adjustments they made in addition to adding like TJ McFarlane and Luis Garcia in the middle of the season really allowed these guys to be more consistent in the zone. And they have some huge arms. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't think, I, I think it's really difficult to get recognized in a bullpen unless you have name brand performers. And I would even argue that as good as Gallegos is, and as much as those of us who are beyond nerdy about baseball know who Gallegos is, I don't think he has that national reputation yet, right? He doesn't have like the big save total or the all-star game appearances or something like that that would trigger that conversation. That said, Keep quiet, keep doing your job. Run prevention is going to be really key for this team. Starters have been pretty good. I think Michaelis has come back, has been terrific. We actually had him on our show this morning and really interesting listening to him talk about how he was healthy and how he feels like his pitches are in a better position than they have been in the last several years. But I think as long as they keep preventing runs and as long as they're not walking guys, which really was the issue with the bullpen for the first two months of last year, I think they have a chance to be a pretty solid unit. Mike, you mentioned that conversation you had. We'll get you out of here on this one. Thanks so much for the time today with Miles Michaelis. And I think it was you that asked him about the baseballs and some of the controversy that has surrounded that, both in terms of what the pitchers are dealing with. And also, it, it relates to the hitting as well. The Cardinals have not hit a home run in their last eight games. You look up and down the lineup, this doesn't look like a team that should be struggling like that to hit home runs. And at their ballpark, it can be difficult sometimes. What have you sure. made of the early season signs and some of the numbers that are coming out on the baseball, the way that's affecting some of the hitting, and also, of course, the pitching controversy that surrounded it as well? Yeah, so you know, I did a lot of reading on it this morning because there was a lot written about it. You know, two days after Bassett's comments, um, you know, I think there are a couple things that are at play. I think the uniform storage from the humidors is obviously a factor. Um, and the reason why it's probably a bigger factor now is, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as of right now in St. Louis, I'm going to assume that, assume that the humidity is not soul-crushing. Correct. <laughs> that the air is probably a little drier than what the baseball is being stored at, which is what what ends up happening in, in limiting the distance that it's hit. You know, I watched that in Arizona for a number of years when they switched the humidor in 2018, I remember the first game that they had in the ballpark with the new humidor balls was an exhibition game. Uh, Zach Greinke was pitching against Cleveland, and he gave up like five snot rockets that died at the warning track. So I think that's part of it. The other thing that I found interesting, more so than the consistency of the ball uh, pitcher to pitcher, that's always an issue. Like when you have human beings rubbing up the baseballs with mud, that's going to be a problem. But Scott Service, the Mariners manager, told us yesterday, he throws a lot of BP, and he has noticed a difference in seam height on some of the ball. Well, that also can constitute drag. I think Dave O'Brien wrote about that this morning in, in The Athletic as well. He's the Braves beat writer. That's something to keep an eye on because that was a major issue in college baseball several years ago where the seams were too high. It was basically sapping all of the offense out of the game. 
Um, and, you know, they had gone to the, the BB core bats at that point. So it was like, there were a lot of shutouts, right? There were a ton of no hitters and it's all because the, the pitchers were either a, a look at their pitches move more or B when they hit were hit hard in the air, they died. So I think those are factors. And I do think, even though it looks like the average temperature league wide has been pretty similar, I think we can kind of by feel tell that when it's cold as heck in Chicago and St. Louis and all that in late April, that it's probably a little bit colder than normal. And that's going to impact it. And like, you're going to have in Washington DC yesterday, they had a monster wind blowing in from left field, which was keeping the temperature down. And, you know, so combine that with the new ball storage and maybe raised seams and you get why Yadiel Hernandez hit a ball 107 miles an hour off the bat to the warning track, like didn't even get to the warning track and left. Side of the field. So I think all of those things are definitely factors in um, what's going on. Uh, again, like it's early. I don't want to draw too many conclusions. It's worth watching, but I think we'll have a much better idea come Memorial Day what we're dealing with than we do right now. He's Mike Farron, one of the best uh, baseball analysts in the country for my money. You can hear him over on MLB Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron, F-E-R-R-I-N. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, you Mike. got it. That's Mike Farron here on 101 ESPN. Man, the, the baseball story, I thought we were going to be done with that this year after what we saw last year with all the sticky stuff and everything. It's become an even bigger storyline this year than it was a year ago. It's kind of crazy to think that um, this is the the offense side of things to me is more interesting. Like I understand the pitchers are complaining about it. I think that has everything to do with the command and the lack of command, honestly, across the sport more so than it does um, with anything else. The way that the ball is reacting when it is hit right now, the physics of it, as you just heard Mike talking about, that is completely altering the way the game is played. Mm-hmm. That is way more important for us as fans than guys losing command once every seven games. Um, that's that's something that is absolutely worth monitoring. Like Tyler O'Neill has been smoking a couple of these balls. And as he mentioned, they just die. They just die at the warning track right now. That If that continues, it's going to be something that baseball has to figure out. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, you mentioned Nolan Gorman in that conversation with Mike Alex. Is he hitting his way onto the big league club earlier than expected? Man, if he keeps doing this, I don't know how they keep him down as long as I expected them to. We'll get to that at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the Junk Drawer? Wow. You guys you guys know I love hot dogs. Now, I think I found where we... I, I, I think we uh, found the line that we can cross on. how he said it? Hot dogs. He, you guys know I love hot dogs. I had an experience with Tanner where he what? ate a hot dog right in with front of me. a hot dog? <laughs> on Monday night. What kind of experience was that, man? We are at the ballpark. And you just sat there and watched him while he ate a hot dog? It was a little uncomfortable. Well, it was an Italian sausage. Yeah. Some would say probably better. Was better. Somewhat. Then you just stared at him while he ate it. Mm-hmm. He did. It was really awkward. I led him astray, though, to try to find the hot dog. Yeah. 
you got him lost trying to find an Italian sausage? I did. We yeah. went we went down some stairwells. You went around you went to the wrong corner. We we went we through multiple one, corners. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. But anyways, all right, let's go. The ballpark is tough to maneuver when you're trying to come from the very top and you're trying to get to the very bottom. Back to talking about BK watching you eat an I, Italian sausage. It was weird when we made eye contact, but uh, the the weird the Not line sure the line for me though. Did you guys see what a New York Yankees fan did? Oh yeah, I saw this, and there's nothing wrong with us this trying is to disgusting. fight. What was it, Miles no. Strong? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Different New York Yankees fan. There was something wrong with that. There was a Yankees fan. There was a video on Twitter. I think this was from this past weekend, where he's dipping he, the hot dog he's, in he's the beer. He's dipping it in a beer. There's that's absolutely disgusting. nothing wrong. It's literally oh, a beer dog. No, I mean, isn't that basically gross. what they do with the hot dog eating contest with lemonade? Yeah, but it's beer, which they, is better. Do with lemonade? I thought it was water. I think it's, I think it's water. I think why it's would water. you dip it in lemonade? Yeah, why? Oh, you want to make lemonade. your hot dog sick? <laughs> <separate? laughs> That's <laughs> disgusting. Hey, Joey, just dip it's, your hot dog in a wa- in lemonade. It's also gross to dip it in beer. No, it's not. You it's a beer. Have you ever soggy? had beer? Yeah, yeah, but you yeah, but you're it. not letting it soak in the beer. You're you're dipping it and eating it. The dog. Okay, I get what you're saying. It's usually the dog is like, what would be the word? Boiled in lemonade, a beer, or with water. And then he, why would it be lemonade? I don't understand oh, where lemonade Chestnut came from. is a water dipper. Many others opt for Crystal Light. Oh, Crystal Light. This is what Gross. my grandma drinks. Oh, I. Oh, you drink Crystal Light? Oh, okay. Never mind then. That makes sense. <laughs> but the, ba- the, it, the dipping the, just ran right dipping into the bun it. and the hot dog in the There's beer. There's absolutely nothing wrong line with that. Crossed. Line crossed. Have crossed. you ever done like beer dogs and grilled yes, them? Yes, but what I do is I you like boil it in the beer for a little bit. Or you pour beer on the hot dog, not the bun. Yeah, but again, he's not like putting the bun in the, and then holding it while it gets soggy. He's dipping and eating. I know. That's gross. Gross. Ew. I'd try it. Ugh. No way. You dip your dog in anything. Just crystal, 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 like 15 minutes crystal play him a believe it grandma. or not. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service sex line. But next, is Nolan Gorman slugging his way under the big league club sooner than expected? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the future of the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Gorman will be at second base. Tommy Edmonds is going to be playing short. And if you ask me, that vibe has affected the psychology of the two players that wanted to grab that starting spot. I think Edmundo Sosa and, and Paul DeYoung see the writing on the wall. Uh, they were given a short window of time to impress before this move gets made, but they got this sense in spring training. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Amsinger earlier today on The Morning Show. If you missed any of their show, you should check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app. By the way, give us a follow on TikTok as well, at 101ESPN. We're trying to up our follower count there. You're going to see a bunch of uh, content from this very show over on the TikTok account. Who's going to do it? We'll figure that out as we go along here. Still think we Alex, should do a T-Bone a, Tinder oh, Tuesday. I am a TikTok You can also find us on star. YouTube as well. 101 ESPN YouTube account. We're going to find a bunch us of on Twitter and Facebook there. too. Uh, we're going to be going to all the Blues uh, playoff games together. we got a bunch of Cardinals games that we're planning to go to. So we'll have Not plenty together. of content on TikTok, I'll be there on YouTube. You'll be there. All different kinds of stuff. We're going to have hot dogs together. <laughs> so Nolan Gorman, he's probably eating some hot dogs out in Memphis. <laughs> Is he going to be doing it in St. Louis? <laughs> <laughs> I can't 
<laughs> He's been in some Ding Dong Johnsons, yeah. <laughs> That's how you're going to tie these together, huh? I tried right. to find a transition. That was the best I got for you. Woof. So he started out pretty slow down in AAA. His first three games, he was 0 for 10. What? What? <laughs> he was 0 for 10 in his first three games of the season. He had five strikeouts. It didn't look like it was going well. It was basically a continuation of his spring training. But Alex, in his last 14 games down in AAA, he has 23 hits. He has two doubles, 10 home runs, 15 RBIs. Come on, Memphis. We got to get some guys on before Nolan Gorman comes <laughs> yeah, up to the plate. not helping him out. And his strikeout rate has gone down. Now, it's not low but it's one out of every three and a half at bat so he's closer to that 25 to 30 percent as opposed to 35 plus percent which is fine that's okay if you're going to be slugging like this Alex is he starting to slug his way onto the big league club I mean yes Uh, when you're hitting like this you have to be considered to come up to the bigs like there's no other reason that you should be down in memphis it's the same situation as what tyler o'neill was going through like the guy was just dominating every single game and you're thinking what else can this kid prove in memphis call him up and they finally did so yes he is slugging his way onto the big leagues but on the flip side of that you also go back to the i don't know where he fits in because i just i i continue to go back to i don't know if the right role for him is as a DH because I just feel like there's going to be added pressure for a Nolan Gorman who is he what 22 23 years old you're putting him 21. in 21 he's 20 you're putting him in the bigs to be a designated hitter a designated hitter that the the Cardinals signed Albert Pujols to be for this team and I just feel like there's added pressure to somebody who's 21 years old who has never seen major league pitching yet and you're saying, we need you to just be a DH for us. I just feel like that's added pressure. So as much as he's hitting, I just don't know if the right role is as the DH. And I think the better role for him is going to be playing second base, which, if so facto falls, ipso facto, ipso facto, falls to Paul DeYoung struggling at the plate. Yeah, I, I think, is he starting to hit his way onto the club? Maybe a little bit. I, I still don't read too much into it. And the reason I say that is because, A, the Cardinals want to figure out where they're going to put him as we're talking about. So they need some things to sort out here in the first month. Plus, he still has a really high strikeout rate. And that's going to be the thing that is going to hold him back. The Cardinals will want him to work on that a little bit before they call him up. Because if he's got a high strikeout rate in AAA, and I'm assuming he's probably seen a lot of breaking pitches there, he's going to see just as many as he there he will, will here in the big leagues and that's what Mike Farron was telling us about you know with these guys that come up they're going to see he's going to see a lot of breaking pitches when he comes up and if he's struggling with that pitch now he's really going to struggle when he gets to the big leagues so are they going to be in a rush because of the numbers they look really good down there I don't think so I think they're still going to say okay good build some confidence work on hitting that breaking pitch and when we get everything sorted out here at the major league level which I think they're going to have sorted out by the end of uh May that's when you'll see them call him up. I still think that the table's going to remain, the timetable for Nolan Gorman's call up is going to remain the same no matter what the numbers are that he's putting up right now. Yeah, I think this all relates back to the shortstop situation. We said this yesterday, and I still think it's true today. And there is a bit of a hint on how they're feeling about Paul DeYoung's at bats recently based on the lineup that we're looking at right now. So if you're going to play the lineup game later on today, for the next 15 seconds, turn your radio down. We'll we'll be able just to give this to you. don't do it, man. We're just going to get yelled at again. The bottom of your order, they've got Dylan Carlson batting DH today. He's going to get a day off in the outfield. This is them doing what they said they were going to do. They've been honest about the way they're going to handle all of these things. They're getting him a day off today. They got Nolan and Goldie a day off as well. They're going to continue doing this, it looks like. Harrison Bader got a day off. Um, so Carlson is batting sixth for you as your DH. 
You got Bader seventh in center field. Yachty is eighth. Paul DeYoung is batting ninth for you today. Is this the first time he's batted? He's hit ninth in the lineup so far this year? That's very telling. I think this shows you where their confidence level is on him. They want him to get fewer at-bats. Well, that, That's what this is. Also, the double leadoff hitter is dead, T-Bone. Yeah, I mean, they, they never actually believed in that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Well, but did. Paul DeYoung is batting ninth today for a reason. It's because he's your worst hitter right now. And that is worse than Yadier Molina, who has done basically nothing prior to the last couple of days offensively for you. So I, I think this is the last gasp over the next week or so for Paul DeYoung. If he does not show you anything offensively, I think sooner rather than later, they're going to make the move to Edmundo Sosa. And then he gets probably, let's say, a two-week stretch where he can prove if he can or cannot handle that spot as your starting shortstop. If over the next, let's say, three weeks now, you don't have either of those to emerge as legitimate starting shortstops, that's when I think this becomes a conversation. Because I think Sosa has earned the right to have an opportunity to be there. And I think they would like to exhaust all of their internal options first before they make a dramatic move of bringing up their top prospect right now down in the minors. The other thing, though, too, is if Tommy Edmond continues to hit, it really doesn't. I mean, if Edmundo Sosa hits well, Tommy Edmond continues to hit well, you're still in the same position with Nolan Gorman of where does he play other than the DH. And And that's something that I'm okay. I I know there are probably some that are going to disagree with what I'm about to say. I'm okay with him staying down in the minors until June or July if that's what's best for him I mean, in their mind. I am too. And that's and I don't know how this how this clears itself up down the road because if Edmund, I don't think Edmundo Sosa is going to be the shortstop that we all needed here in St. Louis, but he's going to be better than Paul DeYoung for you. And if that's the case, well you can't take that out of the lineup. You know as much as Mike Farron said that he thinks Tommy Edmonds' best role is playing everywhere. I get it, but I don't want to do it. I think his best role is playing second base for you every day, personally. I I really do, too. I just disagree with the assessment that he's a guy that should be used as a super utility player. He is... He is not Chris Taylor in that he is a gold glover at second base. Tommy Edmond is. Well, and the other, That's the difference. And the other thing is, too, like that if he's going to be playing everywhere, that means at some point he's going to be out of your lineup, and you can't afford that right now. So you don't want to hope somebody fails because I really do hope Edmundo Sosa becomes the answer at shortstop. But that still brings back to the problem of Nolan Gorman at second base. And maybe it goes back to what Ben Johnson of the Memphis Redbirds manager told us that it's more just the mental preparation that Nolan Gorman's going to have to go through. And maybe it's going to take some seasoning. Maybe it is going to have to spend another year in Memphis to continue to work on this role. And then when the September call ups come up, maybe he can be useful for you there. I just don't know where he falls into this plan for the Cardinals when you have Edmund playing as well as he does. I, I think two things if what you were at, you said, what happens if Sosa takes the role and then if Tommy Edmund is still playing the way he is. One, if you if you like that option, you could still maybe you could put Sosa at the DH spot in certain matchups. You could move Edmund over to short and then you can have Gorman play second base. Or instead of like a day like today where Carlson's the DH and you put Dickerson out in right field, maybe you move Tommy Edmund out to right, you can slide Gorman into second base and then you can ro- kind of rotate uh, Gorman's role, whether he be at second base, DH, kind of keep a rotation in place to where you're getting guys' days off and you can shift Tommy Edmond out to the outfield. He can play short, he can play second. That's kind of that utility role where you're probably not getting Gorman every day at bats, but you're getting him pretty close to every day at bats against right handed pitching. And that'll be determining of how much do you really want to do, how, how much do you want to be, what is going to be the point in which you're saying it's every day at bats for Nolan Gorman? Is it going to be he has to be in the lineup? 
five of six days if it's right-handed well, pitching. He said, he said it's, it's going to be it's right-handed all. pitching. But if you have if see. you have Sosa and Edmund playing well, I wonder if it'll change just a little bit. And what I mean by that is instead of like if it's I don't know in this series against the Diamondbacks, you're seeing what three of four right-handed pitchers, I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe instead of playing in all three games against right-handed pitching, maybe there's one where you just say, okay, we'd rather have this. We'll have Edmund and Sosa. But then there, he's only playing two there. of the four games because you're going up against a lefty as well. So I, I think all three of those right-handed, like for just using this series as an example, to your point, I think you would want him to be in all three games against right-handed pitching. And then the lefty is when you get him the day off. And I, that's where and it's really tough. You could maneuver around. Like today, instead of Dickerson and right, you could have put Edmund in right, and you could go Gorman at second. Or uh, the problem there is, though, off, I think you're worse defensively at two spots by doing that. I, I would see, rather I just you, have him be there at DH. How much will they truly value their up-the-middle defense? And if your offense is struggling like it has been, I don't think it. I, I think they're going to sit back and say, you know what, we're going to have to take a hit at some point, and that's where you're going to take the hit so that you can get the bat into the lineup. But the thing is. We're all just anticipating Nolan Gorman's going to come up here and just rake for the Cardinals. Let's all remember what happened in Dylan Carlson's first year with the team. And I understand that and was Tyler a different... Tyler O'Neill and all these guys these, tend to come up. Harrison Bader struggled You're not at first. only bringing up a rookie, but you're bringing up a 21-year-old rookie. Like, that is a lot to put... Jamie Rivers talks all the time about the pressure you're putting on a young athlete to come up to the bigs that quick. Like, we can't all sit here and just say that Nolan Gorman's going to come up and hit 300 and become a 25-home run hitter. It's going to be some growing pains with him, and I... I just don't know if you're going to take that hit if he's not hitting. I The other thing, and we've got a few texts on this, 65780 is your comfort <clears throat> service text line. Guys, Dickerson is also heating up. Don't sleep on that guy either. That's the other thing. Dickerson definitely plays into this conversation because as over these next three weeks, as you're evaluating uh, both Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung, you're also evaluating your left-handed DH option. If Corey Dickerson starts hitting... And at the end of this, it's a 270 batting average. He's hitting for a little bit more pop. He's hitting the ball well. Like It's coming off of the bat well, even if the numbers aren't necessarily there the way that I just indicated. All of that plays into this conversation, too, because then instead of getting those DH opportunities against right-handed pitching, it becomes even more difficult to be able to justify getting him out there in the lineup. So uh, Nolan Gorman is a guy that we are going to continue talking about, especially if he keeps crushing the ball the way that he has been. I do not, to answer my own question, think he's slugging his way out of the big league club just yet. I think they still have a few more weeks, as frustrating as it may be to hear, before they start looking towards him actually being an option in the majors. I think he'll get there, but I think we're looking more at June, maybe July, as opposed to May. I think that's kind of where, I, where I'm at in terms of the timing of it. In about 15 minutes, how much does the Blues final season and them playing as well as they have mean when it comes to winning the Stanley Cup? We'll take a look back at some of the recent Stanley Cup winners to see if we can glean anything about this Blues team. Not we'll talk word. about that in 15 minutes. Believe it or not, is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK's singing. It makes me happy, man. It makes I'm me here happy. for it. I watched Role Models the other night. 
Oh, that Great is an movie. underrated forgotten movie. The best part of that movie is every time the guys that and like, the other guys. Two, two yeah, movies guys. that get forgotten too much. The best much. part of that movie, and I know this has nothing to do with this, but it just brought it up because of the song. Every time he asks them if he knows any wing songs, and they sing the wing songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's know, fantastic. Watch the movie, T-Bone. It's great. Start making more, uh, you know, better references. I mean, great the, references. These are Just within the last 15 learn years. Learn to watch actually great movies and stop watching ago, documentaries on Putin. Seven. I know. I said it's within the last 15 years. Sorry. It's within the last 10 years. Yeah. 65780 is your well, comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Ryan Helsley will be on the roster as the closer by the end of the year. What's up with the hate with Geo? Well, I mean, Ryan Helsley covers first base. Geo can scale a bolt. That's yeah. actually you very true. You tell me true. what Helsley can do. That's true. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna believe this one. I think Ryan Helsley will have saves, obviously, this season. But Giovanni Gallegos. I mean, we just heard Mike Farron say he thinks he's one of the most underrated closers in the game. So uh, I, I don't think that's gonna change. Yeah, I'm not gonna believe this either. I, Geo's going through a little bit where he seems to not just have the command of his pitches just yet. I think he'll be fine. I, I, I'm not going to believe this. I think Gio's your closer for the whole year for the Cardinals. I Take your time here, BK. I think Ryan Helsley will be your closer in the playoffs. In the pl- playoffs? Yeah. we got to make it there first. I, I think if there a is game. a save situation, the guy that is most likely to be in said situation will be Ryan Helsley. I think he's your best... I think he has the best stuff of any of the Cardinals pitchers right now. Let me ask you, is it because of what you just said, because he has the best stuff, or is it because they use Gio early on in the playoffs? He's got the right stuff. Both. I I think it allows them to free up Giovanni Gallegos to be in those situations they talked about before the season. I think Ryan Helsley is trustworthy enough for them to say, we believe that he can close out games. And also, Gio doesn't have splits. You can go against righties or lefties, and you can get him out equally as, as well. I think that's probably the way that they decide to use them. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, there will be multiple trades tonight in the NFL draft in the top 10 picks. Multiple teams in the top 10 trade it down. I'm not going to believe that one. I don't think I I don't think we're going to see multiple trades. I, I don't every, think any of the top five will move out. I think six is the first time you'll get to that conversation. The, I agree. The thing is, every time you go into the draft, there's always, oh, there's going to be a lot of movement in the top 10, and there never is. I think Carolina trades out. I, I would actually be, I think it is more likely Carolina, than not that yeah. Carolina does not pick at six. I, I don't think they're going to take that pick because they, they have no second or third round picks, man, and that team stinks. And they, I would have to imagine they want to take a quarterback, but you can't take him that high. So it's Malik Willis. They make a lot of sense as a trade down candidate. Atlanta makes a lot of sense as a trade down candidate. Seattle. And then Seattle makes a lot of sense. No, Seattle's taking Jordan Davis. There. Would you consider the Jets if they trade for Debo? Would that be a, a trade within the top 10? You, you would. That would Wait, count. Not, their, not their, their fourth. Or tenth. Tenth. Yeah, that's top 10. Yeah. I was just thinking like, because there's a trade down versus a trade yeah. for a player. I yeah. would trade that. I think I would set the over under on trades within the top 10 at two and a half. And I would take the over. I would take the, the under. And I'm so I'm not going to believe this. I think there's one move. I think one team trades out. And I think it might be. Caroline just seems like a franchise that would draft a quarterback at six, even though we all agree. Or an offensive not at six. Yeah. So. I, I think it's going to be Seattle. I, I think Seattle could trade down, and it won't be like by a lot of spots. I can see them like just dropping down to like 13, 14. Somebody moves up in that spot. 
I, I'm not going to believe we see multiple. I just think one team will move out, but not multiple. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Aiden Hutchinson will end up falling to at least number four overall. Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end out of Michigan, who up until the last couple of weeks was the favorite to be number one overall. So it's Jacksonville, it's Detroit. Who's three? Houston is third. I Houston's taking an offensive lineman. I don't care what anybody says. I think they're going Stingley. Derek Stingley, Stingley the cornerback out of LSU. I think is who they're going to That's not take. a bad pick. Yeah, so last that time being a top said, five corner when it went well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm talking about you, Detroit. I, hey, if, he if Aiden hurt. Hutchinson is there at three, doesn't Houston take him? You would think so. You have to. I, I don't. I can't imagine a scenario where he falls past three. I, I think he's going to go two. I do too. I don't. But. I don't see how Detroit goes anything other than that. You, like, if you're Detroit, you take the best player in the draft, and he's the arguably the best player in this draft with Trayvon Walker. I, I I'm going to say I'm not believing. Or no, I am believing this because I think he'll go top four, and I think he'll go to number two. Yeah, I, I'm going to believe this because I think he goes number two overall. I think Detroit would be making a huge mistake if they pass <clears> up <throat> on him. If they pass up on him or even uh, Thib- Thibodeau, I, I, he feels like a top three pick but he's just for some reason is dropping down all these draft boards so i'm gonna believe this i think Hutchinson goes two overall i think it'd be a huge mistake if detroit doesn't do that uh i i'm with you guys six five seven eight oh is the air cover service x line believe it or not willis will be the first quarterback and jameson williams will be the first wide receiver selected tonight both of them so first quarterback is willis first wide receiver is jameson williams i placed this down as a bet this is one of the bets that i oh, made so you texted this in okay. no this is from the 618 i don't live in the 618 there you go I believe this. Why the hell not? Optimism never hurts. Let's go for it. I like it. Willis and Williams, first ones to go. Williams is one of the more interesting players in this year's draft because he'd be a locked-in top 10 player if he w- if he didn't have the torn ACL. Yeah. I mean, you've got a guy that runs a legit 4-3, and it's on field speed. It's not the track speed where it's like, I didn't see that really when I watched him on, on film. He outruns everybody in the SEC. So does Jordan Davis. <laughs> I think Jamison Williams, if the Jets stay at 10, is likely going to the Jets at 10. If they trade out, I think he will be the pick there for the 49ers. If the Jets end up getting Debo Samuel. So I, I like this one. I believe it. Dan? I'm not going to believe this. I think Willis will be the first quarterback. And as much as I like Jamison Williams, I feel like somebody's going to take a wide receiver before him just because of the fear coming off of the torn ACL. It, it just feels like a move we've seen in the past where teams see some sort of injury and they're hesitant and they want a certain position like linebacker, for example, and they take someone above that player because they have fear of what the injury repercussions are. So I'm not going to believe this. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues will win their first round series against the Wild in five games or fewer. Believe it? Ooh. Oh, 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 five games or fewer? No. Thought we were just going winning it. That, damn, he's, uh, he said that with some confidence, too. There's no it, 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 there's no way that that series ends in anything less than five games. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if... This feels first, like it goes seven. That, and I wouldn't be surprised if four out of the seven end in overtime. Like these teams wow. are so freaking close. It is. I mean, go to, go through the numbers in every area, whether it's goaltending, defensemen, offense, everything about these two teams are eerily similar. So I, I think this is going to go six or seven. And I think we're going to see a lot of overtime games. So I'm not believing that. Yeah, I'm not believing it either, because I think this is a seven game series and 
I get it that, you know, the Blues are, I don't even matter what the number is, but they've had the Wilds number, but the last two games have showed you that they're very even going to overtime. Plus, Marc-Andre Fleury is a guy that can steal a playoff series, so he may steal a couple games where you think that the Blues outplay the Wild. I think this goes seven games. I'm not, I would, if you told me to bet on it, I wouldn't even bet six or under. I would say I'm taking game seven. Yeah, I, I would take over on five for sure, and I think I'm with you guys. I think this goes seven. I think that you'll get a game seven, and it's why... Alex has been saying this for a while. Maybe home ice advantage is important in this first round series because having that game here would be a hell of a lot better than having it out in Minnesota. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will win at least six of their next seven games. Their next seven games are coming against Arizona at home, and then they've got two out of three on the road in Kansas City with that makeup game here uh, in St. Louis as well. I'd like to hear you answer first. I believe this. All right, I'm not believing it. I knew where that was going. Who could have seen that one coming? Hardy har har. I'm not going to believe it. Are you it. a pirate? I'm not going to believe it because that means you've got to sweep <laughs> one of those. And it's so hard to sweep. So I'm I'm not going to believe it. I'm just going to take the odds. And I think they take three or four from Arizona and two of three against Kansas City. Kansas I just don't bu- know if they sweep one of those teams. He's already busting out the brooms for this series. Yeah. Zach Grinky's going to be tough, but otherwise they, they win every other game. Madbum's pitching well. Merrill, Merrill, Merrill Kelly's doing Streep? well. Isn't that Merrill? Do you know who Merrill <laughs> Streep is? Yeah, actor. Did you just say is it Marill? No. Never said that. Can I give you guys one? Please. Believe it or not, we're going to see all four goaltenders at some point in this first suit round. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is the only guy that you're going to see in the series for Minnesota. And you're not going to see Jordan Bennington. So not. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I, I think you'll see both goaltenders for Minnesota in the series. And I... I don't think you'll see Jordan Bennington. I'm not going to believe this one, but I think you'll see three of the four goaltenders. I don't know who's going to start for Minnesota. Cam Talbot's got beat every time that he's played against the, the Wild. Marc-Andre Fleury's been good, but Cam Talbot has been just as good, if not better, other than the two games he played it's against Mark the Blues. Marc-Andre effing Fleury. Yeah, I get did it. You, did you see the, the poll? Cam, what? The poll that came out from play, in NHL players? The NHLPA put out this poll. If you need to win one game, who is the goalie that you would want in uh, between the pipes? 37% of NHL players that responded to this, and there were 540 of them that responded, said Andre Vasilevsky. 14% say Carey Price. The next one up, Mark andre Fleury. He ain't get, he, you he's, know what, BK? He's not getting Maybe that. you should stop basing your opinions on polls. What? <laughs> In 15 minutes, we'll get to the BK Ferrario Rewind. Coming up next, though, how does the Blues' final month of the season compare to other recent Stanley Cup contenders and what they did in the final month? We'll tell you next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Start what they used to be. Hold on. <laughs> How did we get here? I just randomly saw somebody. This is a bad idea. Tweeted. Man. It's uh the Twitter account is crazy ass moments in American politics. Oh yeah, that's the one we're gonna go off of. There is a Texas Railroad Commission candidate 
And I'm just saying I would recommend don't do this on your work computer, but her campaign video is is something else. Aren't you on your work computer? I crap. Uh, <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service sex line to get involved in the show. Alex, before the show today. You can't look at that, man. I, I am actually pretty sure I'm not allowed to. Um, before the show today. I asked you, hey, Alex, does it matter that the Blues are on such a, a hot streak right now to finish out the regular season? Because they have been, inarguably, the best team in the NHL over the last month of the season or so. They're first in points percentage, first in goals four per game, ninth in goals allowed, top five in both power play and penalty kill percentage. They've also improved on the faceoff uh, percentage. Right, they're or Riley eighth. specifically. They're eighth right now over the last month in faceoff, so they're top ten in I mean, more or less every statistical category over I, the last month. I think Ryan O'Reilly has made himself like one of the top face-off performers this season. Again, yeah, uh, again, and like he was, he was bad at the beginning of the season, and man, did he improve. Sorry, no, you're fine. Um, so I, I was curious, looking back, how much does this matter to finish hot? Because you'd like to say, oh, of course, every Stanley Cup winner they finish the season hot and they go into the playoffs and they carry that momentum, right? Man, I, it really hasn't been that way. It's been really a, a bit of a mixed bag. You look at Tampa Bay last year, now shortened season, so maybe that plays into this as well. And they all also did the circumventing of the salary cap, too, the way that Vegas did this year. So there's yeah, some of that. Yeah, that work for them, by the way? Uh, they won the cup. Um, no, t- no, Vegas. Come on, man. <laughs> sorry. They were 15th in points percentage, so right in the middle of the league over the last month. The Blues in 2019, if you're looking for a comp for this Blues team— it is probably that one. I skipped 2020 because there was that um, that pause period in the middle where th- there was no momentum going into the bubble. But the Blues in 2019, they were first over the last month in points percentage. That's probably the closest thing to this one. Washington in 2018 was second in points percentage over the last month. So if you're looking for a trend, it really is that. But before that, Pittsburgh in 2017 was 12th over the final month. Pittsburgh in 2016 was first. Chicago in 2015 was middle of the pack, 17th. Uh, the Kings were 16th, and Chicago in 2013, that's as far as back as I went, was second. Do you take anything away from this? Is there anything that we can learn from it? I really don't because like, hockey is just such a weird sport to go off of trends of how other teams have played going down the stretch. Like, I do find it interesting that the Blues comp is to this Blues team currently but again, like you look at both seasons and they were drastically different because one team was defensive goaltending oriented. This team is offensive oriented. So I don't look at trends in terms of past teams. You just kind of look at trends of this season and the teams that are going into the playoffs. And I think it is impactful the way that the Blues are playing, not because of what other teams have done, but because if you just look at the style that the Blues are playing, it's it's a dangerous style of hockey to be going into the playoffs with. And... I, I what we talked about yesterday, I, I think that does carry over and, and carry some weight into the playoffs of of playing not poorly, but not playing to the level that you wanted to in the final three games going into the playoffs. But even if you take those three games out of it, you look at before the avalanche loss, you're 14 0 and two. And that's significant. That's a significant style of hockey to be playing in. But again, it's hard to, to go off of trends because you just don't know what the matchups look like. Like Tampa going into the playoffs and the trend that they had is very different in terms of the Blues, but Tampa had a different opponent because they were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, and the Blues are going to be getting a Minnesota Wild matchup where if this was one through eight, you'd be looking at it very differently. I think you need a trump card. 
I think that if I'm learning anything from this, it's you, you need one thing to be able to consistently hang your hat on. And the Blues have found that. It's goal scoring. That That is their trump card. They're first in the league in goals four per game. And if you're looking at their power play, they're top five from that respect as well. If you look back at 2019, the Blues had become, uh, strangely enough, I know we didn't view them this way in the playoffs, they'd become a goal-scoring team as well. They were not, sixth in the league over the final month in goals four. They had the best power play in the league in the final month of the season back in 2019. You look at Washington in 2018, fourth in the league in goals four per game over the final month, and top 10 in power play percentage. Pittsburgh, 2016, fourth in goals allowed, or first in goals allowed per game, and fifth on the penalty kill. So they had that trump card of being, we are going to suppress the opposing offenses. I think that's probably it. It's just, you've got to be able to build something over that final stretch that you could say, okay, We can lean on this. This is the thing that once we get into the playoffs, we believe that this is our identity. I think that if I'm looking at anything that the Blues have done over this final month, that's probably the most important thing is, okay, we knew all year long. We had this depth of scoring. We had all of these different guys that were going to be potential 20-goal scorers. They have leaned into that in this last month or so, and you have that line now that you know you can trust with Thomas Buchnevich and Tarasenko. You've got defensemen that contribute offensively. Justin Falk with the most goals by a Blues defenseman uh, since Al McKinnis. I think that's probably the one big thing that I can point to and say, okay, you look back at these previous Stanley Cup winners. What did they do in their final month that the Blues were able to accomplish? It's building that identity and finding the one thing you can really lean on that will build that success going into the playoffs. I think that's important, but I also think it's important not to be not to be obviously weak in one area. Yeah. Like going into the playoffs last year, they were obviously weak in one area. And and this season, I don't I, I can't say that. I can't say that this team is weak in one spot other than I could hear the argument of, well, you just don't know what you have in both goaltenders. But even that one bad game for Bennington against Colorado, which I don't put all of the blame on to him. He still played pretty well in the previous five games going into that matchup. So I think the biggest thing is like you just mentioned, have one area that you can hang your hat on, which is offense and honestly, special teams. I think that's an area the blues definitely need to be exploiting in that first round against Minnesota Two. You want to have a hot goaltender, and they have that in Ville Husso. And three, you just don't want to be obviously weak in one spot. And yeah. I think that's where the Blues are at right now. And to that point, none of these teams, points percentage, goals for per game, goals allowed per game, power play percentage, or penalty kill percentage, none of the teams that went on to win the Cup, and this isn't a shock, but uh, it's noteworthy, were bottom 10 in any of those statistical categories over the final month of the season. And the Blues are top 10 in every one of those categories. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. What the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. chance to win a free pair of tickets i think 
<laughs> to see right. Dead and Company on June 21st at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. I don't have the number of tickets that you win, but you win free tickets. <laughs> to see them, tickets uh, for the show are on sale right now. Find Surprise. a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead and Company right now at 101ESPN.com or on your free 101ESPN mobile app. Or you can just listen to BK and Ferrario. We're giving away stuff all the time right here on the show. If you are, text our number 101 at 65780, and you can tell us what we think that Nolan Gorman is going to be eating up here in St. Louis whenever he arrives. We mentioned this earlier today. If you were listening closely, you will know the reference. Uh, 65780, texture number 101. You are the winner of a free... Maybe? Some free tickets <laughs> to see Dead and Company on June we, 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 give away, we give away stuff on the show. We just don't know what Worst it is. Worst giveaway ever. <laughs> it's been a weird show. When you text in today, you'll find out which which what you win. Yeah, Mike Ryder will let you know what you actually won. That's, that's all I know. Somebody says, I just want one ticket. Can I go with somebody else, please? I don't know. You how get many. to go with BK. There's definitely multiple. It says tickets, so there's plural. More than sure? one. Maybe it was a typo. Uh, maybe. that I, That's all I got for you, man. All right. On the other side, we were talking about how the Blues compare in their final month to recent Stanley Cup winners. I can tell you who's not win the, winning the Cup this year easier than I can tell you who is. Okay, let's hear it. The Minnesota Wild have an alarming, blinking oh, no. red light Don't with the penalty it. kill. 75% over the final month of the season for them. Uh, they have really struggled on the PK. That is an alarming number when you look at what recent Stanley Cup winners have done. None of them have been bottom 10 in any statistical category. And they're third most in penalty minutes, I think. Yeah. Like, they have taken a lot of penalties. That, that's why I, I, I... Jamie Rivers has told me this multiple times. I don't even know if Nicholas Delorier would be playing in a playoff game for Minnesota. Like, the guy that they acquired at the trade deadline, I, I think you have to play him because he's... He's kind of bought an identity with Minnesota being an enforcer for him, but like he's going to take penalties. Can I give you some teams that are bottom 10 right now in penalty kill over the last month? I can tell you one that's not. The Blues. Florida. Yep. Toronto. Yep. Nashville. Yep. And Minnesota. Hmm. Cross them all off. They're not winning the cup. All right. Okay. Well, that that really stings because you just you BKO two two areas here. One, the Blues, which is the more important one, but you also BKO'd the fact that like Nashville might be playing Colorado, and thanks for that. What do you mean? Well, you oh. just said Nashville's not winning. Yeah, we wanted Nashville to hurt Colorado. Well, they can hurt them. They're just not going to win the cup. Why do you do this, man? What do you mean? Why are you the way that you are? I I asked myself that I question. I hate everything a whole heck of a lot. Does tomorrow matter for the Blues? <laughs> well, no. of course it matters. No. They got an opportunity for home ice. Too. I know. If they really cared about home ice, a lot of guys would have been playing, uh, you know, against Colorado. What's more important, home ice or making sure that the guys are healthy for the first game of against Minnesota? The latter. Of course the latter. And the by latter. the way, Calgary is playing against Minnesota tonight. That's a big game. If they end up yeah. getting two points in that one, it becomes a little bit more difficult for the Blues to um, get home ice. They would need Minnesota to lose on Friday against Colorado, and the Blues would then have to win as well. But if... Minnesota loses tonight. That's a big one. Minnesota needs three or four points. And if they lose in regulation, that gives the Blues an opportunity to pick up two points and control their own destiny. Be, yeah. I mean, even if Minnesota were to win and the Blues win, Blues get home ice. So it's very meaningful tomorrow. But I think it's more meaningful for the Blues to come off of a loss and focus on playing the right way against the Col or against the Minnesota or 
the Minnesota Wild, the Vegas Golden Knights. You want to be playing the right way, opposite of what you did against Colorado. Coming off of a loss, I think it's impactful there. But I also think the one thing that Craig Bruby's probably going to be telling his players is do not get hurt. Do not go out there. And I know it's so hard to say because look at what's happened in the last couple of games. Robert Portuzo had an awkward fall, and then Marco Scandella goes knee-to-knee. Like, the biggest thing is making sure that you're not going overly aggressive out there against a Vegas team that's already bought out and getting guys injured. That's going to be the biggest focus for Craig Berube. It was a fun show today. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. You will see why we talked about the uh, Cardinals and Mets becoming rivals once again, and which Blues player gains the most with a cup win in 2022. From 2 to 6, we got the fast line. I believe they've got Craig Berube coming up later on this afternoon. We will be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. I had an experience with Tanner where he what? ate a hot dog right in front of Hot dog <laughs> on Monday night. What kind of experience was that, man? We're at the ballpark, and you just sat there and watched him while he ate a hot dog. It was a little uncomfortable. Well, it was an Italian sausage. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.